0: Yo, what's up everyone?
1: How's it going, Miles? Patrick?
0: I'm good, bro. I'm good. Just uh, looking at this pretty um pretty boring price action.
1: Yeah, I mean that's an, an understatement, I think. It's just been <laughs> flatlined.
0: I'm pretty sure this is the tightest range Bitcoin's been in since um even if, since January actually. Started Jan. Mhm.
1: Yeah, well, I'm just thinking back. We did have that really flat one in the high teens a few months ago. Um, you know, it's, it's been good. It's given me a chance to get caught up on some research. I'm really going down the Ordinals rabbit hole the past few days.
0: Oh, no. You've been... Oh, no. You, you've taken the Ordinals pill. The orange pill. Uh, I, I have.
1: I've, I've taken, the, taken the Ordinals pill. I mean, it, they're more than just NFTs.
0: Scott, what do you think of... Um... Oh, by the way, welcome to the space. It's your first time joining... Joining Thanks, the man. space. We have a good time here. Um, talk about a bunch of stuff. I was—I wanted to ask you, what do you think of all this stuff building on Bitcoin, like the the ordinals and the um, Bitcoin DeFi stuff?
2: I will literally support anything that triggers toxic maxes. So <laughs> um, you can literally put dirty sho- dirty shoes and used cars into the Bitcoin blockchain just so I can see them react. So I, I, I'm a huge fan of all of it. But actually, I think it's quite cool.
0: I think it's cool too. I like it. I mean. Why not? Like if it's there, if, if it's there, and if it's possible, why not experiment? That's kind of my ah. opinion on it.
3: Are we talking about stacks? Yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I, I look at stacks like the the um defi uh like defi on Cardano. It was kind of their moment, like that pumped it. I look at the same thing for stacks and Bitcoin. Um, the Bitcoin Maxis are going to be like, oh no, this is the next best thing since sliced bread. Let's check it out. We can do in it. Oh wait, NFTs? Oh yeah, cool. NFTs have been done on Ethereum for the past five years, or four years, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it'll 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 be fun.
0: Better, better late than never, though.
3: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I think the stacks.
2: Yeah, I think the stacks guys are sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I, I love Muneeb. Like I've talked to him. I was with him in Dubai only a couple weeks ago. But you know, the they anger the Bitcoin. Sort of toxic Maxi side who don't think that Bitcoin should be anything other than Bitcoin and shouldn't be programmable, and they have a hard time, I think, engaging the people who you know are on ETH, obviously, or, or other chains, and believe that everything should be programmable and built on each chain. So it's a really challenging situation for them, I think. But I, I love what they're doing.
0: I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily understand it because even like, if you want to compare Bitcoin to gold, for example. Like in the real world, gold isn't just used as a store of value like it's used to create like conductors and and it's used in electronics and kind of like any commodity is also used for multiple purposes. Fiat currency is used for multiple purposes as well, so it's kind of just like I don't see why Bitcoin needs to be like boxed into just one one thing necessarily um umbrella I know you've got strong thoughts on this do you how are you feeling about uh about all of the Bitcoin stuff going on? I spoke to you, like obviously, a couple of weeks ago about it. but Yeah, I mean, I think segment. it's
4: like a, a fundamental event that we're going to look in the future and say, you know, this is one of the key things that kind of changed the dynamic of, of the markets and how it's used. I, I know we're seeing right now, I think there's about 45 minutes, 50 minutes left of the Yuga Labs, their ordinal auction. Um, I see the floors like 1.1 1. 1 Bitcoin at the moment. So... In order to get, I think they're doing 300, a three hundred NFT collection, and the floor on that's one, I think one point one Bitcoin at the moment. So it just shows there is huge demand for it. Um, I think the tooling's not great at the moment. Even Yuga's tooling isn't, isn't great, um, um, but it just shows how I many people are willing to throw Bitcoins at this, um, you know. So I think the demand's definitely there, and it's only going to grow as more use cases, more tooling available like there's no real fully fledged on-chain marketplace at the moment um that's kind of fully functional and working so that just shows like people are still building wallets that are natively compatible with this um so yeah i think it's still early in terms of the let's call it B- bitcoin nfts um that specific space in terms of stacks um you know, I, I've also kind of seen it, seen it around for a long period of time. I don't know if I feel it's quite difficult because stacks is obviously a Bitcoin layer two, um, but it's not. You know, you can't really compare it to like your Ethereum layer twos because obviously ETH has inherent layer two technology within it um, that allows layer twos to operate, whereas. Bitcoin doesn't have that kind of technology that the layer twos can utilize. So it's more of a side chain than a a layer two. Um, And I've never been a huge fan of side chains because, you know, they, they don't really inherit the security and the kind of protocol and everything done on them is kind of doesn't really inherit the value I feel um of kind of what's done on the main chain whereas layer twos like arbitrum or optimism do kind of inherit a lot more of that value
1: yeah as far as ordinals i just wanted to add um actually red phone crypto had a really good thread on this but is there a future use case for being able to inscribe data on the oldest most decentralized most secure blockchain and i think that there's a pretty clear answer of yes. There are use cases for that. There's probably thousands of use cases for that.
0: Yeah, I think it's super interesting. Uh, it's definitely something I've I've been kind of going a bit further deeper down the rabbit hole. I see XO. You're with us as well, Kavisi, Welcome, guys.
5: Hey, hey, thanks thank for having me on.
0: So I introduce you both at once, which is like probably a, a space's hosting mistake. Um, it's uh it be your first time on the on the space, so I wanna I wanna welcome you. I'm a big fan of your content. Um, yeah, as thanks, well, and thanks. of course the newsletter. Thanks for having us on. It's definitely a crazy
5: time, and you know, crypto, equity, bond markets, just about anything. So,
0: yeah, there's there's certainly a lot to discuss. I think where I want to kick it off. Um, so basically, like I think the format for today is we'll we'll talk about. More like price action related stuff. Go into macro a little bit to um, start the space for the first thirty to forty-five minutes. Then I want to discuss some like crypto specific topics. um, After starting more macro, like of course, um, touch on the Gox and Shanghai stuff, but also some of the Tether fud, Binance fud. I think these are general headwinds, which are I think spooking investors to some extent. And then of course we'll get into all the altcoin stuff. Probably circle back to defi ordinals all that stuff in the last in the last hour or so but we have some uh we have some very very good traders like like xo and macro experts like and and as well as um scott as well in the spaces so let's let's utilize the brain power here to dig into what's happening at the market at the moment so i guess the only way to start is really this this price action this is very i guess boring flatlined crazy price action i saw scott And Kavici, both both of you tweeted and said this is like like a a dead patient at the moment. Um, uh, Kavici, first, do you have any do you have any insight into into what's happening over these last few days?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's been you know we made a tweet a couple hours ago where um, it's it's just been four days of uh, crypto markets, specifically Bitcoin. Four days of just flat price action, as you mentioned um, after that liquidation event on Thursday. Um, I mean, look, I think what's happening here is crypto in a way has become, I guess, uh, a measure of risk appetite in markets just as a whole, globally speaking. Um, And while equity markets kind of came back a little bit on Thursday and Friday, crypto has been flat. I think what's happening is liquidity is, is slowly drying up over the near term, given the Inherent uncertainty behind the Fed, other macroeconomic events, um, and and people are kind of trying to, to say, you know, is risk sentiment, risk appetite going to remain as we saw in the first couple months of 2023, or not? Um, it's I think it's too early to call that. I think what markets are really waiting for is some more inflation data. I mean, March inflation data is going to be some of the most important because we've seen. Um, You know, February data was obviously not favorable and um, February PCE inflation data actually marked the first increase in inflation since October 2022. So I think if, you know, I think crypto markets are going to be on hold really until um, and maybe even equity markets really until we see the next set of data here, starting with jobs report on Friday. We have some Fed speakers this week Uh, and the macro picture as a whole is just kind of on hold right now just pending data.
6: Miles, are you muted? There've
2: been a lot of issues with uh, spaces today that I've been on losing sound, so it's possible he got disconnected, and as the host, he can't uh, shut
5: it down and restart. So it looks like there's just a bunch of a bunch of uh, glitches on Twitter. I, I, we sp- we speak with Elon pretty regularly about glitches and stuff going on. It seems like they're just overwhelmed right now.
2: XO, you should talk about price action, buddy. It's your thing.
6: Price action is really interesting. I think um, this is an environment where I think anybody who's been a a portfolio manager for the best part of 10 years is probably going to get chopped up in this environment. But as a trader, it's an absolute dream to trade this market. It's a very technical market, uh, price action. There's opportunities for longs and shorts, uh, whether that be crypto or equities. It's it's certainly a challenging environment. You really have to be technically very sharp in order to really do well in these markets. But uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, it's an absolute dream to trade. And I think given all the macro talk and all the macro talking heads out there, I think people seem to forget that over the last nine months, we've just pretty much been in a range. If you look at equities, equities have been capped at 4,200. When I say 4,200, in the sense where on a monthly chart, we've not had any acceptance above the 4,200 level. And then we've seen the lows being printed around about 3,500, 3,600 on the monthly chart. And all price done has been contained within that range for the best part of nine months. And the same could be said with Bitcoin as well. Bitcoin has printed the highs in June at 25K, printed the lows in November at 15K. And, you know, we we saw a recent revisit of price back at 25K. So across the spectrum, across all the core indices, it's very indicative to me that we are in a range-bound environment. We're probably going to continue in a range-bound environment. But I think what's really interesting for me is the fact that the Fed has been pushing this soft-landing narrative and is this really the same Fed that we're going to believe with the soft landing narrative that pushed on pushed or sold as the uh, inflation is transitory? I don't really think so. I don't believe that. And I think there's a real risk in the markets where we are seeing a repricing of rates, which is likely to go higher. Uh, as from a macro perspective, growth is fairly strong. Uh, inflation is remaining to be sticky. The job market is very tight. So where is the risk? Is the risk really to the upside or to the downside? I don't think as an investor. You have to be careful as a tactical investor or a trader. Uh, these are brilliant conditions driven by data on a week by week, month by month basis. And I really think that over the next week or so, we'll find out. We've got the CPI data coming out. We've got the Fed, uh, FOMC. There's there's even a probability you now if you look at the June 14th Fed's funds rate pricing, it's pricing in a 56 and a half percent chance of the Fed's funds rate going to five and a half, you know, five and a half percent. So currently the Fed's funds rate is at 4, 4.58. That leaves us with potentially another 100 basis points. Now, is the Fed going to lose their credibility? Because JP has always has recently talked about the fact that, you know, we're going to go with 25, 50 looks likely to be off the table. But if they go back to a 50, then what does that mean for the Fed in terms of their credibility? So could it be over the next several months where we see a series of 25s being slapped on onto price until they finally get a grip on inflation? And again, when you look at the... uh Inflation break evens and the inflation swaps, they they repriced higher, uh, literally fifty basis points, on a month-on-month. So that's the bond market telling you that hang on, th- th- there's something of real concern here. But um, I'd love to know, uh, Kaviti, pleasure to meet you. I uh, really enjoy your content. Um, would love to know your take on where you think rates could potentially end up over the next few quarters. Do you, can you see this going to six percent, maybe higher?
5: yeah th- thanks excel you too actually i was going to tell you really really like your feed and your content and definitely echo your your point on the whole technical price action uh regarding rates i mean as you mentioned we we're like obsessed with the whole rate situation i think we tweet about it 50 times a day but um we're i mean look the, the expectations are they're they're shifting very rapidly almost every day they're changing um We, I mean, I think personally that if, if, if the Fed, um, the Fed really wants to get inflation under control, they need to raise rates even 50 basis points in March, which is right now looking like a 31% chance. Uh, but we, we've been saying that the Fed really needs to start raising quicker, um, and just get that, that Fed funds rate up to, uh, I mean, 6% is right now looking pretty unlikely. I think we could see five and a half to 5.75%, um, by, you know, the summer. And I think where markets are really going to be kind of off here, if you look at the um, at, at the interest rate expectations right now, they're actually pricing in four rate cuts by summer of 2024. So I think that's the, the back end of the curve is where markets are are kind of off here. I think five and a half to six percent, somewhere in that range, is good. But I don't think we're going to start cutting immediately and fall back to four or four and a half percent by next year at this time. I think. Uh, the Fed has made it clear, too, that they're getting inflation down to 2%, which may not even be be feasible right now, given supply-side dynamics. But that, that's going to take at least until 2025 at this point, is what their, their current forecasts are showing. And honestly, we would probably agree with that. Um, so I think right now, I, I really think that we should, that, you know, the Fed needs to keep raising rates quickly, get close to 6% if possible. Um and then kind of hold rates there. And I think you're seeing an, an increasingly divided Fed right now because they're, number one, um, you know, the, the whole thing about every Fed speaker coming out every other day and, and giving a completely opposite view is becoming much more common. Um, and then you also are seeing where, uh, you know, you can kind of tell that Powell's a little bit hesitant in some of the remarks he gives after, um, the, the Fed meet, the Fed meetings happen in his statement because I think there really is a divide, kind of, kind of growing here. There's a one camp in the Fed that says we're going to have a soft landing. We keep raising, you know, we raise rates another 25 bips, maybe two, three more times, and hold it there. And then there's another camp, which we're in, saying get rates higher, go to six percent if you have to, five and five point seven five percent. And then, you know, once inflation starts coming down, especially because you have to overcompensate on the demand side then you can start to talk about cutting rates and and just forget this whole thing about a soft landing, because I think it's too late for a soft landing already. We've already crashed. Yeah, I agree
6: with that. I think the expectation for me is a hard landing. I have a question for you, though. Let's assume that the Fed does go to 5.5% by June. What happens in the case where, do you feel that China could pose a real risk to passing on inflation to the uh, US economy? And if that is the case, then Surely that exacerbates inflation. What's your thoughts with regards to the whole China situation? And
5: the 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 China the, the just about the worst possible thing that can happen right now is some sort of economic warfare slash countries digging into each other with sanctions or or banning various you know forms of trade. That's the last thing that we can afford right now because the reason that inflation has been so persistent it, it's it's really not even because of the fed the fed is doing just about as much as they can on on the demand side so you know inflation has two sides demand and supply side and the demand side is already overcompensating for you know supply chain disruptions war in ukraine um covid is still kind of spilling over i mean that's really what's driven a lot of inflation and uh the tensions with China, particularly if we start seeing sanctions or, or another trade war like we saw a few years ago, I mean, that would that would be just the worst possible situation. It would actually we think it would actually send inflation well above, uh, you know, the where we're at now, maybe back towards nine or 10 percent. So I think right now what we really need to do is avoid any sort of conflict in that regard. Uh, just from an economic perspective, obviously, political perspectives are completely different. Uh, a completely different situation, but where I mean that that's kind of a building bear case right now where China starts you know the US and China start going at it with sanctions, trade wars, and then it just becomes exponentially more difficult to bring inflation down on the demand side. The Fed has
2: roughly a hundred percent hit rate of overshooting in both directions historically though. so I would actually respectfully take the other side of that argument, which is that they probably have already overshot, we're already seeing signs of disinflation. I mean, if you look at commodities, I mean, the price of natural gas is what the same as it was in 1990. I mean, gas, oil has obviously come down tremendously. Commodities have an inherent deflationary pressure. And so to talk about the Fed and the reasons for inflation and not talk about the fact that the Fed massively overshot on the easy money side to cause 9% inflation, I think, is not telling the entire story. I mean, I would argue that they should just stop and probably should have already stopped uh, a few months ago because hikes and tightening have such a lagging effect that we don't even know what the that the what the, uh, hikes from six months ago are doing until now. And we've obviously seen inflation come down from mid 9% or low 9% to mid 6%. So I, I think you can make an argument in the other direction. And frankly, I've been under the assumption that we are, that the Fed is going to obviously cause a recession or otherwise. I had an interesting conversation this morning actually um, with Cam Harvey, who is the like famous economist who was the first person to identify and write a dissertation on the relationship between the inver- inverted yield curve and recession, right? And since the 1960s, eight out of eight times that the yield curve has uh, gone inverted. We've seen a recession, and he actually made the argument today, which shocked me, that here in the ninth time, and it's his model, that he thinks that this time is different, uh, which we all know are the foremost dangerous words in investing. But he actually surprised me and made me think that uh, perhaps uh, I was wrong and that the Fed actually could pull off a soft landing or an extremely mild recession, but that they've obviously also believed that if that's the case, they would have to stop tightening now or... Uh, would have hopefully done it uh, in the past, which obviously is not something we can do. So a- as for the easy money environment that you guys are talking about, I think that is dead and done for a long time. So people who are anticipating a pivot back to loose money policy and uh, rate decreases, I, I think they're going to be, personally, I think they're going to be waiting a very, very long time. And interestingly, if you look historically in the past, you get the yield curve inversion, then the Fed pivot, then the bear market. Right. We've obviously seen prices come down. But if you look, that's been the pattern that we've seen in the past. So waiting for this uh, magical Fed pivot to pump your stocks and your Bitcoin, that's not what's happened in the past. And people seem to be missing that point. But I I mean, I just think that no matter what happens, we're going to see the Fed overshoot. And that may have already been
5: the case. I think part of the risk, though, is given that you don't know yet if they overshot or not, it's entirely possible that they did. You wouldn't know until a few months on the line. But the the problem is, and this is what, you know, there's a growing voice in the Fed. You saw, I mean, Kashkari, the Minneapolis Fed president, said it last week, is that if you, they they would rather overshoot than, they'd rather over-tighten than under-tighten, right? Because then you have inflation entrenchment, you have wages rising. That's, that's the most dangerous situation to, to kind of avoid. So I, I still think that, Could they have overshot now? Yes, but is there a much lower chance that they overshot if they get rates closer to 6%? I think so. And if if that means that they went a little bit too far, and it puts us in a mild recession, well, the mild recession, in my opinion, is is inevitable either way, and it it does kind of eliminate that whole situation of inflation, entrenchment, and wages.
2: It does, but it raises the possibility of much more than a mild recession.
6: Scott, what's your thoughts on then the fact that um, the services PMI is still above the level it needs to be? Still above the level that it should be. It's at, trading at fifty-five. Again, it came in flat in compared to January. Which would you not believe that adds more cause for concern in terms of the Fed and they probably need to be more hawkish and higher for longer. I think. So it's vers-
2: a, yeah, I, I think vers- that's a fair a
6: dis- dis- yeah. argument.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's a that's a fair argument. Um, But once you go deep down the rabbit hole of the calculations of inflation and see how often they, uh, quote unquote, pivot on the way that those things are calculated and the way they analyze that data, it's very hard for me to give much credence or credibility to a one month change without seeing the data over a longer period of time. But listen, I I don't particularly trust the Fed, so I might not be the right person to uh, ask that question.
6: I I think there's an interesting correlation, something that I've... um... I am observing, which is the relationship between the yield curve, the, t- the two tens and the three month and the 10-year. Uh, I think I've got it on stats here. The US two tens has been inverted for 243 days. The three-month 10-year, which is a, has a very high record of um, preceding a recession, it's been inverted for 131 days. I think the real risk is that both are deeply inverted and the duration has been fairly extended compared to previous recessions. But I think there's a really nice correlation where the yield curves lead to the downside versus the uh, manufacturing PMI by generally 6 to 12, sometimes 15 months. Uh, I think the bottom of the market or what I'm really looking for is that we know that risk on is conducive to growth being positive. Uh, I still believe that there's, there's some significant downside to be seen on both the manufacturing and the services PMI is not just in America, but we know In fact, occasionally uh, there's been times where China can lead uh, to the downside and it also impacts the U.S. economy by a a lag of two months. So I still think that there's real risk to the downside, unfortunately. And um, one of the things I'd like to see is a deceleration of the PMIs and the bottoming phase, because if you look historically at the charts between the correlation between equities, PMIs, and the yield curve, um, obviously you need to see the curves come out of inversion, you need to see the PMIs bottom, and when the PMIs bottom, you then see An environment that encourages um, stimulus and uh, risk on appetite, but I don't think we're anywhere remotely close just yet. So I'm not sure what the future holds for anybody looking to invest in this environment. Uh, For that reason, I just think it's very conducive for those who are very technical and excel at trading the markets both ways.
0: I wanted My, to, I just wanted sorry, to make
2: sure that was back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, kept, uh, rattling on.
0: <laughs> to be honest, you, you don't even need me. XO is like a, a great, um, host as it is. He, he'll ask you great ma- macro questions. But, uh, yeah, sorry. Space has just rugged me for a little bit. The, I mean, it's notoriously glitchy, right? So I had a few, few issues. I wanted to point, I, I just pinned actually a tweet you did, um, XO about the, like, I guess, like the Wyckoff scheme um, fractal schematic you outlined, I think, a few days ago. Uh, that that, yeah. that tweet really caught my interest. Also got a lot of bulls very upset. <laughs> I wanted to, yeah, kind of ask you what your thoughts are um, behind that.
6: Yeah, I think Wyckoff is subjective to how one perceives or how one applies uh, the Wyckoff scenario. Look, at the end of the day, ultimately, what is Wyckoff? It's just an accumulation range or a range of distribution. But I think what it does help is us to understand perhaps what part of an accumulation phase are we at. And I think what's compelling for me is that on November the 15th, we saw a very high volume of capitulation and some form of backwardation as well, if I recall correctly. So could it be the case that we've seen selling capitulation and then over the next six to 12 months, we see a range-bound environment where we could even revisit, you know, a spring in phase B or a spring in phase D? Is that 14k? Is that 12k? We know Bitcoin has a habit of overshooting of both to the upside and to the downside. It's very extreme in its price movements. So I think you know it's you should never really try to marry a bias, which is obviously for in this example. I think this is just more of an illustration purpose. Like, look, perhaps this is the beginning of a macro accumulation range, and that's not to say that we can't go even lower down to take out the early open go to 14k 12k because if for whatever reason we see a repricing of equities and i I do believe we will i am not convinced the laws on equities are in. i think equities have been riding off this narrative that we are likely to see a soft landing that we're going to avoid a recession i'm more of the camp of the the big flip high for longer i do believe that we will see a hard landing or or some form of recession whether that's going to be later in q3 or q4 remains to be seen um And equally, I'm just struggling to see what the appetite is for Bitcoin. You know, I'd much rather be a buyer of Bitcoin when economic conditions are conducive to being risk-gone or towards, you know, where there's a real grip on inflation. And um, perhaps at that point, maybe Bitcoin trades back towards the range lows and maybe that's an area where I'd look to start buying Bitcoin again. Um, So there's still plenty of time. You know, we've got the halving narrative in 2024. So could it be the case where, okay, the economy is not doing great, but perhaps we know Bitcoin trades as a beta asset class compared to equities. I do believe the halving narrative is enough of a stimulus to propel Bitcoin, potentially, you know, maybe back to 40, 50K. Um, So in my opinion, I think anybody who confuses me or considers me to be bearish Bitcoin, that's incorrect. I was bearish at the highs. I sold 63K. I shorted all the way down to 20K. All I'm saying is that I'm very tentative to be a speculator at this price level. I would much rather look to buy on a revisit of 18K, 16K, 14K, wherever the low is established. And if we get a deviation below the range low or a wick off spring and price gets acceptance back into the range, that to me is a very good, safe entry point and perhaps one I'd be looking to hold as long as the lows can hold.
2: Can I just ask you real quick then, to invalidate that case, would it be effectively for you a flip of the 25, 25, 12, and then you would look for it uh, in that area if you don't get those lows? Um, I,
6: I think, Scott, when I look at price action currently, I just feel as though this is very much distributive from what I look at. I think we could remain in this upper bound of the range between 20 to 25. But I think if we lose the 20K level, then we have to be open to consideration that that we will eventually go back down 16k i I don't like the yearly open candle i don't like the yearly open the flat body candle on on the yearly quite often from a price action perspective we see that uh, we see those flat body candles being taken out and secondly if you just zoom out the charts you've got to look at the big and truly ask yourself does this look indicative of a structural bottom the fact that we haven't seen, seen a recession there's some serious risk out there in terms of being an investor at these levels um i just think there could be an opportunity where we could see prices eventually heading lower down over the next several months but you know as traders i'll trade it technically level to level i could marry a bias and say i think bitcoin could go to 14k but is that really actionable i'm not too sure as a trader i'm sure from 25k i'm looking at 20k if we lose if we lose 20k that opens the floodgates for 16k happy days you know it's just a good buying opportunity down there
0: would you kind of agree with um so, Scott, you obviously mentioned that there could be like the Fed may have overshot or maybe overshooting, and there could be like a further downside to come. Are you kind of a little bit tentative to buy here as well? Sure, I mean
2: I have my dollar cost averaging strategies that never uh, stop and are sort of uh you know agnostic to what 's happening in the market, but yeah, I think that, uh, Exo is correct at 25-ish, you know, to, for me, it was literally 25,212 as a gratuitous short that would have marked a break of that level. certainly on the daily, better on the weekly would have been the first structural higher high, you know, since 69,000. We've just had a long series of lower highs and, and lower lows. So to me, that could have helped to invalidate the uh, bear thesis, which makes it a very high, uh, risk reward short. Obviously in that space, I think that this is just, like I said, as an investor, uh, long term, even if that accumulation range that he shows there is correct, and we revisit 14, well, that's a bullish accumulation range that eventually breaks to the upside, right? Whether that's 2024 after the halving, 2025. So if you have a low time preference, preference, long term view, then anything down here in theory is probably a good price long term. And I do view it that way. But yeah, if you're looking for a leveraged, uh, position right now, I think your long was, you know, below 17 and your short was above 24.5 or 25. And now you're in no man's land watching, uh, the patient oh, die.
6: I think the issue in the crypto space, um, and it's quite frustrating for me is that many individuals out there are emotionally attached to uh, Bitcoin. They can't segregate or understand the difference between a trader. And the investing mindset, and I think that's because a lot of hope is pinned on Bitcoin as as the gateway to success or financial freedom. Uh, I think if that's the case, then they're probably wasting a long time, in my honest opinion. But look, as a trader, I think uh, I still think there's risk to the downside. Uh, as an investor, I, I'm I'm very bullish. If we if we see lower prices, it's not a time to be bearish. If, on a long enough horizon, from a market cyclical perspective, I think we could see some really good buying opportunities. Heading into recession.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. You just said like most people are, um, like potentially over like over leveraged. or looking for, and Scott said they're looking for leverage positions. The thing to understand is like altcoins are essentially like highly leveraged positions on on Bitcoin. So I think the reason we see that general sentiment on Twitter is because everyone's so like heavily stacked in terms of like altcoin positions, which are just extremely volatile. You know, Bitcoin gets crushed, they get crushed. Bitcoin. Pushes 25, they two, three, four X. You're essentially in a leverage play, um, like in and of itself there if you're in alts. And I'm, I'm obviously a big, big altcoin guy. That's, that's how I do, that's how I do a lot of my trading, you know, identifying narratives, looking at small caps, all that sort of stuff. I'm into that space, but, um, I, am certainly not, and I've said this for the last few spaces, I'm certainly not like comfortable buying my, um, you know, my smaller caps now for, for like a two year hold when I think, at some point, I probably get a better entry on some of those like speculative projects, even if I love them. If there's many, many altcoins. I think that they could do big things in five years, but it's just that doesn't mean I buy them now or ape now. So I think, yeah, you've always got to stay pragmatic with how you approach um, averaging into the yeah. market, just like you would with taking profits.
2: Really funny. I think the best illustration of this just to use, I mean, Exo and I have, yeah, you know, we've, we've, we go back a long way, but I have been pretty much outspokenly long Matic from like the 80 cents to 85, 90 cent range. And he's outspokenly <laughs> short Matic. And we're both right at the time when we express that.
0: Yeah. Exo, yeah. how are you viewing Matic at the moment? That's, uh, that's a great Look. one. I've been loving the post on, on the Matic stuff. <laughs>
6: I think uh, I, I probably get carried away with posts, so I apologize for that. Um, it's just, look at the end of the day, I've, I've never really got onto Twitter to, you know, it was just all tongue in cheek and just some banter for me to, more than anything. But look, ultimately, I think Matic uh, looks like a massive phase of redistribution up here. I've, I've, I've made compelling reasons why I think this was all redistribution. And look at the end of the day, the reason why I trade Matic, because I've got a very good reason, read of price action, I think over the last 40 months, I've taken over thirty-two trades. I've won twenty-seven. I've lost five. Give me a market that I can trade successfully, and I'll keep trading it. You know, with a strategy that works. So that's my argument on Matic And uh, apologies if I offend any uh, hodlers there, but it, you know, that's just that's just the nature of markets. And I'm, I'm there to trade the markets. But look, I think I think ultimately I just want to wrap up on one one key important point. Uh, you know, we saw the 2019 Bitcoin fractal being compared to the current price action. I think there's a real misconception there. Um, people don't realize that in 2018 or during a phase of 2018, many people seem to forget that the Fed actually went through a phase of QT. I know we talk about Bitcoin dropping from 6K to 3K in 2018 and looking for a causation. And the cause of the reasoning was, well, the, the whole Bitcoin mining saga. But do people actually realize that rates shifted and and uh, real rates went higher, um, equities went lower, Bitcoin went lower? And then what did the Fed do back in um, 2019, they cut QT and went back to QE on Bitcoin call, Bitcoin calls the bids. So I really think there's a correlation between global liquidity and liquid, liquidity flows in the market. And again, if we're going through a phase of QT and higher rates, then what's the reason for Bitcoin to rally aggressively? So again, I'm just being very tentative as as a speculator, uh, knowing that the data that we can look at historically uh, that there's some correlation between global liquidity and Bitcoin and clearly we're not in that environment right now. So I think that's that's something that uh, Kabisi touched upon as well, which, you know, I'd love to hear his views as to where or when he thinks uh, we could see an influx of sustained liquidity coming back into the markets.
5: Yeah, I think, I mean, the liquidity picture is kind of pretty similar all around the board, equities and, and, and uh, crypto and just about anything that requires risk appetite. I think... Uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's really pending on data. Um, and I think, I mean, look, this market is extremely headline, um, reactive. I mean, they, they just about any headline or or statement that the fed or anyone says is being utilized by both sides as a way to kind of drive their narrative. So in the case, I think what it's going to take for liquidity to really start returning, um, obviously some sort of quote-unquote Fed pivot would would spur that maybe over the short run, though even with a Fed pivot, I don't think we avoid a recession And um, the longer term, I think, which which Scott also kind of hinted on. But um, I think to get liquidity really coming back, you're going to have to just see, you know, more proof of disinflation. Um, and then also the equity markets have been pretty range-bound, um, and, and specifically the S&P has been stuck below 4,200 resistance. I mean, that, that has held like a wall. Um, so I think you need to see, in this case, equity markets start leading higher and, and, and break out of this range before you see, you know, the cryptos of the world start following and, and seeing more liquidity get in there. And, I, and it's also important to note that after this, this large bear market we saw in 2022, a lot of the, this, the, um, the capital on the sidelines was redeployed over the last few months. And that, that kind of drove the move off the lows. There's actually a report that came out um, on the Wall Street Journal about how um, uh, savings um, in, in accounts of 250,000 or more contributed to the first drop in the overall um, savings in the U.S. since 1948. So I think what that what that tells us is not ordinary people are are you know losing their savings necessarily. It's more that capital that was in, on the sidelines for so long during this bear market has already been redeployed and that's why you saw this huge liquidity injection into the new year and now it's starting to dry up again so i think there's the long long answer short is that there's a lot of factors but you need to see inflation keep coming down more signs of disinflation and you also need more money on the sidelines to start rotating in even though a lot of that has already dried up
0: i also just want (laughs) to jump in quickly and and remind everyone to definitely subscribe to the can be seen newsletter if you haven't, because all this stuff will be summarized um, weekly for you guys, and you're going to get a good, a good insight. I, I'm a, I'm a subscriber as well. I also love your content as well. I think it's, um, I think it's super insightful and well, like clear and easy to understand. Just kind of like, yeah, thank you. Different yeah, from no, a lot of try other macro content. We to make it uh,
5: tailored to, you know, we we have people from new investors to, you know, we have a ton of hedge funds and banks and various Wall Street institutions. So we kind of cater to everyone and try to. Lay everything out as simple as possible, but also as informative as
0: possible. Actually, on that note, I also wanted to ask Scott. You, I just saw yesterday you um, launched a new uh, <clears throat> a newsletter, and I actually looked looked at the first one. It's quite cool. It's like you're you're kind of summarizing data um, like across the crypto space.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I've had my other newsletter. I'm on like issue 700 that I write uh, every morning. Um, but this is uh, a partnership with The Tie. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. They're an incredible platform, but uh, only for institutions. They're effectively like a Bloomberg for crypto, real-time data, real-time news. And they gave me access to it uh, many, many months ago, and I found it's become sort of my go-to source. But that even for me, with the amount of time I have, it would take me a lifetime to parse and understand all the data that they have in there and the ways that you can do comparisons and uh, of different asset classes. So basically I I asked them to dumb it down for me. I did a call. I said, Hey, give me the most key items you have on a dashboard. And then I realized, well, this is a major edge sort of for bigger players. And so I just created basically a newsletter product that would just blast out at the daily close every single day with sort of the, top metrics and it's all there's zero uh human writing it's actually very interesting i'm big on the ai trend but it's all uh completely data driven and, and ai driven uh so there's no uh humans to get in the way with poor analysis it basically just you know presents the top news uh uh different metrics about uh social sentiment and things like that and you can you know you can check it out uh you can check it out i think i'm daily, gonna dailyclose.io yeah
0: I'm gonna use some at my uh, on some of my live streams. Obviously, I stream like most days. I'm definitely gonna start uh, using that as a, as a nice reference because I think yeah, I think it's just laid out nicely. And I mean, I, I also don't want to like give give out too much like free content it's like do not
2: mind? No, <laughs> give it away. I would give it away if I wasn't uh, paying for the data. Like all of my other content is free. It's very cheap, but it's because it's in conjunction with the tie. For me, it's not about profit. I just really saw an opportunity uh, to sort of give people this edge that uh, I know the institutions are utilizing from their platform.
0: No, I think it's cool. And on that note, everyone, um, go and follow. Give all the speakers a follow. They're all great in their own right. Um, so yeah, give give all of them a follow. Show them some love. And yeah, I really enjoy. Uh, I've been enjoying both newsletters. And XO, you streamed as well just before. So your YouTube channels going strong. I
6: yeah, yeah. It's honestly, I've I think streaming really help has helped me immensely from a trading perspective because I really have to be um, thoughtful about the information that I present, and it, it's had a profound effects on my own trading. And touch wood, you know, uh, not blowing my own trumpet, of, of course, but I, you know, I've, I'm really pleased in the way that I've traded the markets over the last eighteen months. My overall view. Um, recognizing the dangers of macro. So I think the key thing with macro is, like, you don't have to be a macro pro, so it's just, you know, subscribe to good data, good information, level-headed thoughts, and seasoned professionals who truly understand the game, and use that to your advantage. And, you know, like I said, I'm I'm a big fan of what Kabisi puts out, very straight to the point, facts backed by data, and and sometimes that's all you need, just a sprinkle of macro to ascertain when the key turning points are in the market, when it's time to really start going risk-on Time to be tentative, time to be, you know, uh, risk-off. So I think that's been the key for me. The key ingredient is having an appreciation of macro and then just letting the technicals take over from a trading perspective.
0: I just wanted to kind of touch on one more thing in this macro segment, then I wanted to have a quick discussion around some of the like crypto-specific headwinds. Um So I don't know if you'll stick around for that, Kabishi, but I wanted to ask uh, to, on your macro view on the slightly shorter term now, heading into... What is now, I think, a 27% uh, probability of 50 BPS. How are you viewing the next kind of CPI print? Of course, it's impossible to like predict, but how do you think the market could react to that?
5: Yeah, I think, I mean, we're actually up to 31% now for the 50 BPS. Wow. Uh, but Timing. I think um, if, if we see CPI rise again, I think we're going to go, I, even without seeing it rise, if we're above expectations, um, I shouldn't say rise again. CPI didn't rise. PCE rise, but if if CPI starts rising, I think we'll definitely see fifty bips. If we see um, CPI above expectations, but still showing signs of you know slow disinflation, we'll probably see um, a twenty five bips rate hike at that point, and then they'll we'll start to debate at the next meeting will it be fifty. Um, but either way, I mean, and I mentioned this earlier, I think rates are going to go towards five point seven five to even six percent um, this summer. Which would probably imply, um, you know, a a 50 bits rate hike is certainly on the table within the next three meetings, we would say.
6: I have a question for you, Kabisi. In terms of, like, just from a high level perspective or a holistic view, how are you positioned for the market? Are you looking to play sector rotations or is it more predominantly just looking for tactical trades? I know that. I saw one of your tweets the other day where I think you caught the move down from forty two hundred. Was it? Um, yeah. A few months ago, so is it? Is it yeah. pretty much tactical for yourself as well? Or
5: yeah, yeah. Every so it's kind of interesting. The the whole way we started the Kobasi ladder was, I mean, I I had I, I trade. I've been trading markets for a while, and back in twenty fifteen, I kind of just started posting my my trades on the same sections we cover now, which is S and P, commodities, uh, options, and some uh, some bonds. Um, so we're we're mainly trading the S&P on the equity front and um, we, we, everything that we post is exactly what we do and it really just started as is something we I mean we our trading strategy has outperformed the S&P 500 for 7 consecutive years now um, but we you know the whole service started by just posting what we do and people started following so now we're kind of just publishing our research on that front so yeah what we post on the S&P is what we're trading um, and we're, we're not necessarily trying to rotate in specific sectors. We're more S and P focus as a whole long short.
0: How are you viewing the, the S and P at the moment? Obviously we had that, uh, like yeah. daily close above 4k.
5: Yeah. We're, I mean, the 4k was, so currently over the short term, we're, we're, are, uh, bearish. We, we, we got in short, um, just about 20 points above current levels. Um, we, what if you're looking at the technical view, there's a key channel that we've been outlining that was actually rejected today at 4070. I think 4070 is, is the key upside pivot. If that's if that's broken, um, then you could s- definitely see back up a 4100, but we're actually bearish right now. Uh, and j- I, I just think head, head, headline risks are still favoring the downside. And we are kind of starting to see lower highs and lower lows form on the the technical uh, chart over the over the short run. So we are positioned bearishly
0: right now. Yeah, it's a pretty clear downtrend. Like if you go into like the four alley and the daily chart and you and if you draw that like um, like that diagonal trend in like I guess you'll technically see a breakout, but also like the failure to reclaim on the horizontals, like a new high. So that's like kind of bearish, but it, it I don't know, it seems very indecisive. Yeah, um, and it's
5: it's really interesting to see I mean for anyone that's been on we I mean we've been on finance twitter now since maybe 2014 2015 and when when finance twitter first started I mean it, there might have been 10,000 people total on the entire finance twitter and and technical analysis was was like that that's what we kind of started doing we, we in our analysis and we were pretty much made fun of back then now the technicals are are they're followed by so many people on social media algorithms that are trading this market um just based on technical levels, that that's really the, the main source of clarity in markets. So, all of our research um, is a mixture of both fundamental and technical analysis, but it's at, at the end of the day, we we use the technical as a roadmap. So, anytime we take a setup or a trade, we're providing a stop and loss based on technical levels. Stop know, first, target.
0: Funnily enough, when I first started like trading crypto markets and, and equities, uh, like a few years ago, like, I think 20, 19, 2018, I was very like anti TA. I was extremely like, you know, technical analysis is bullshit. It's astrology. And to some extent, some TA is astrology when you start drawing kind of random lines and making, you know, random trends all over the place. But I think my, my opinion shifted over time because I realized like the real power in TA isn't necessarily the fact that your line is going to create a 10% move, but the fact that your line might give you some sort of um, like benefit to your risk management because I was. Obviously, like the main Absolutely. major thing about TA is, it, it's really to manage risk. It's not necessarily to say like, like this is the level uh, where I ape or this is the level where I like max short. It's more just like no, this is like maybe a good indicator for me to like de-risk here or start to n- right. nibble at a position. And once I started viewing it like that, then I I think TA has made like huge impacts on my trading well, well, even well, when well I have a fundamental is- edge.
5: Yeah, I I completely echo that because what. What we, what we say is, is technicals are your roadmap, right? You can be bearish or bullish with any asset or any, any market, but it's at what point are you, you know, is your bearish thesis, has has your bearish thesis paid off enough or your bullish thesis paid off enough? Or at what point is your risk getting out of control on the stop loss end? The only way that you can really determine that is through technicals in our view. Um, and the days of people, you know, and there still is more, like, traditional modeling. Like, like I, I kid you not, when FinTwit first started, people were posting full-out discounted cash flow models of, you know, here's what we're projecting for free cash flow for the next five years, discounted, and here's our enterprise value, stock value. Like, that was literally what people were posting. Now it's become a lot more about technicals and, and just kind of having that roadmap to, to both the, you know, the long and the short side.
0: And I've seen the exact same thing happen in crypto. Like obviously crypto Twitter maybe has had a, like a shorter lifespan so far. But when crypto Twitter first, when I first started jo- joining crypto Twitter, it was all like Bitcoin hype and Ethereum hype. And like you had like some Cardano maxis, XRP maxis, all like obviously very long and long and strong. And then I think now like you, you see some of the, well, the most engaged tweets and some of the fastest growing accounts. They're basically all technical traders. And that's, that's kind of how you grow a big. Um, Obviously, there's many ways, but that's kind of how you've been able to grow like a big Twitter account in the last year or two. It's it's by technicals. That's
5: why the the technicals have become so much more impactful, because really, all it is is power in the numbers, and the more people that are following a certain level, the more reactive price will be and volume will be, and um, I I just don't think that trend is going anywhere, especially with over half of market trades being placed by um, algorithms these days who are Obviously not trading based on, on emotion or, or, or even fundamentals just technicals
0: for example I use I use like lunar crush to look at um, crypto data but then also like content creators to see what's working and what isn't I find it very interesting and Exo, you rank like top top ten for engagement on crypto Twitter in general and that's including like um, like the moon and these 1 million plus accounts like mm so like it, it's crazy like even the, the amount of traction your tweets have gotten
6: but you know what's interesting, Miles? I've been shorting the market for the last fourteen months. Yeah. Hasn't... <laughs> so it's, it's it's fascinating that the, the the other accounts are pretty much shilling, um a bunch of shit coins, whereas for me it's just business as usual. There's there's a shorting opportunity I'll take it and i maybe it's just the number of times the, the cash is on impressions, maybe that's why, but um yeah it's, credibility
0: uh, too i think w- w- when yeah, you are publicly it's... short in the down market that uh, that gives you like more credibility than someone that's continuously like claiming to buy the dip for the
6: well I, I i think in the crypto space it, how it works is such that, you know people who ride the bull market everybody's making great unrealized gains but reality sets in when when you've taken a 70 80% drawdown and people have eaten shit on their portfolio and then all of a sudden you see the likes of myself and I see the impressions on YouTube go up, YouTube go because now people realize that, well, listen to certain accounts on Twitter or, or, or Moon Boys doesn't really get you very far because nobody ever talks about risk. Um, and, and then that's where people start taking a liking to technical analysis and they want to learn, they want to improve as themselves. And I can say that because I've been through that journey myself. I started off in 2016, 2017. Anybody who crashed on Bitcoin, I was a Bitcoin maxi, I was an altcoin maxi, I was in it for the tech, I was holding altcoins, my portfolio does multiples and then before you know it I'm down 70-80% mid-2018 and and then you think, right, you know what, it's time to be responsible and take uh, take uh action for my own uh, trading really and it's evolving to what I've become today and I think there's a desire where it's not you against the traders, it's you against the market and do you want to be the best, do you really want to crush the markets and I believe now, you know, I've been doing this for nearly seven years. I'm out of phase as a trader where I honestly look at the market and I can tell you within thirty seconds where I want to do business. And uh the equities was an example of that. I posted the chart tw- 10, 12 days ago and I said I want to become a seller at forty eighties. Today your price comes very close to forty eighties and I'm a seller. And, and sometimes just being patient, being being calculated in your risk to reward. Um and it's pretty much what you said, technical analysis is a way to understand where you want to do business. Where Where is your invalidation level? But ultimately, where are you looking to execute a trade and do your business? Everything else in between is just noise. I just have to wait for price to come to my zone, and I'll trade it. If it doesn't, that's fine. There's other charts out there that I can look at that I wish to trade. So I I, I love the game. You've got to be passionate about the game and and, and put a lot of time and effort to really uh, master your skill, whether it's a scalper, swing trader, day trader, algorithmic trader, whatever it is. The, the, the I the that's a great point. Everybody.
0: Like yeah. I, I think it's a great point like you have to be passionate and then maybe, maybe for some of the audience members listening like um like you're not that passionate about TA and you can't see yourself being a trader maybe you have like job constraints that means like you know you're working all day and then you only have 2 hours to like spend on charts and if that's the case then like there's potentially like other uh, other ways of, of of trading or approaching the market that might suit you better so it's all about what you might want to do like you can trade on a super high time frame you can swing trade you can trade Like, even if you are an altcoin guy and you want to, like, research really heavily into, um, like, a DeFi niche or an altcoin niche and, like, become an expert on that. I know Patrick's made some good points about that, like, recently. Like, you can find an edge there. It's all about finding an edge somewhere where you, like, are really passionate about and everyone's edge is different. Like, for TradeXO, it's obviously technicals. But for, you know, someone else might have a longer um, time horizon and trade differently. So.
6: Yeah. Miles, having said that, I, I, I do wish to make a point that I think if anybody who is perhaps not well versed in technical trading, um, I honestly think if you're fairly new to this game, just preserve your cash, understand risk management, do your fundamental research, because we all know what altcoins do in a bull market. They outperform by massive magnitudes. We just saw what happened in January. You had many altcoins go three to five, seven X. So with a bit of patience, with a bit of cash preservation and learn just to trade the basics or manage your risk i think the the sensible players is just waiting for the next altcoin cycle and quite often that happens post bitcoin halving you know so if bitcoin takes off then we will see capital rotation going to altcoins and where people can capitalize and hopefully this time around take profit when there's a warning sign
0: you can also play the really short-term game as well i i agree with you on that but like if let's say you want to do So yeah, January was a great example. Let's say like you you saw, um, price was reacting positively off like a local bottom. Like we flipped some major levels, altcoins start to look nice. I don't know. There's like some general narrative driving price as well. Then maybe you can, maybe you can like look to position yourself with like, you know, one month, two months, like two week holds with like clear invalidations. There's also like opportunities. I think short term, if, if price actions, uh, looks good to, to capitalize on some alts if the narrative lines up, like, I mean, we saw that with China, we saw that with AI, we saw that with Perp Dex, as we saw, we have seen it so many, so many times.
6: The, the, the beauty of the market on Miles, is that it, and this is from my own experience, right? It's difficult to time when the market is going to rip higher, but you know, it's easier to time the shorts because once the market takes off, it's going to distribute and revert back down again. So I think that's why I find shorting uh, significantly easier because, you know, after an aggressive rally, that there's going to be some good money to be made on the way down. But the, the thing with accumulation is you don't know how long that accumulation phase is going to take. If you look at altcoins for the best part, they've been downtrending for over 12 months, and finally in January we saw some relief straight off the yearly open. So there's that as well. So that's why you know I really sharpen my skills up when it comes to shorting because you just know you can trade trade the market back down with 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 some with some success. I should say.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, in general, like one if you're in a if you're in a downtrend, then obviously you want to short more than you long, and if you're in an uptrend, then you want to long more than you short. Um, I'm kind of referencing like, for example, like I'll use GNS as an example, which is Gains Network. Like for example, like end of last year, like Gains was launching on Arbitrum. Um, like their revenue was ticking up. From a fundamental perspective, they were quite undervalued versus GMX, one of their competitors. So I started like. Laddering in at around, I think a dollar thirty to two dollars, and then it ended up, I think, hitting a peak of like eleven to fifteen, and that was a nice like ten x trade. I, st- I still do hold some um, for for disclosure, though. So, like that that kind of stuff is kind of like my w- what I'll do. Like, kind of go, okay, yeah, market could dip here, but I, I-, I see a relative trade here. I'm going to take it in-, in a narrative that I think strong. Um, but I think that's only really possible if you if you've got like a an edge or at least like you've got your ear to the ground with some of these narratives. Because if you're too spread out across like a million altcoins, then you're not going to be able to trade it. It's more for me like if I see something that I'm happy to like bet bigger on with a small sizable bet uh, and back my own conviction, then I'll, then I'll take that trade. And there's a few altcoins that I put into that category now that I guess can respond irrespective of price. But if you're trading the bigger caps, like your Maddox, your Solanas, your AVAXs, they're going to like generally trade with the market. I don't know if you have any views on that, Patrick, as well. I saw you wanted to speak.
5: Uh,
0: that was actually an accident, but thank you. Okay. Jason, you know, I th- meant to –
5: Something else I wanted to highlight too is, I mean, for, for the audience, like everybody's uh, strategy is, number one, different. Number two, time frame is a huge play, factor at play. I mean, if you're, if you're trading anything that you believe has long-term fundamental value, and you're not just trying to capitalize on the short term swings that uh, a bear market is sometimes one of the best opportunities to just buy and hold. And you don't need to time the exact low or or get, you know, the best timing in the world to make money. Right. You're you got to keep in, in in into, you know, into account what, what your time frame is, what your risk tolerance is. Because not not everybody wants to be a, a trader or a swing trader or whatever strategy that that everyone's deploying, and that that's fine. There's there's a million ways to make money in a market. There's no one right
0: way to do it. I also wanted to ask Jason what no, I saw you wanted to speak as well. I meant to introduce you before um, and get your views on what what we've been discussing.
7: For sure. Uh, G'day everyone, and it's a uh, pretty great. Live you got on today? It's great listening to XO and The Wolf, and uh, I've never seen TKL before. Co-
0: what is it? Sorry, mate. KBC Co- letter. Yeah,
7: good to hear all it's that. macro
0: newsletter and like post great macro content. Give him a follow.
7: Cool, cool. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do. And then the other the regulars on here as well, Patrick, Umbrella, and Drake. Cheers. <laughs> um, it's it's I find it really interesting. You know, I've been on with Ko uh, recently as well, and we have differing views of the market, and so I'm really interested to hear how, I, I mean, you guys are all, tech, most of you are technical traders from what you've said, but then how your fundamentals stack up as well. Um, the main thing that, I, that I'm that i hearing, at least this morning, is that you guys are talking a lot about the market will continue to go up when the liquidity comes back, and I, I tend to agree, you know, there obviously has to be some liquidity, but everyone focuses on the Fed creating liquidity what I've seen in previous cycles um, I'm a bit older I, I was in property earlier on in, in the early 2000s sort of around 2006 is when I bought my first and the the liquidity came into the market from banks and no one is talking about banks banks create a lot of liquidity and we can see those um, at least in Australia and the UK which has hit new all-time highs the banks are uh, creating more profits at the moment um, so, yeah, I guess I just want to get a bit of an idea from the from, from the other guys. If they include the bank's liquidity, you know, the credit that's created that goes into real estate, which then flows out to the market, everyone starts to get super leveraged up because they're all making profits off their properties, which is what I've seen in, in a couple of um, two major cycles and then also some smaller, more more localized cycles. And they start to throw this money out into different spaces. They start to gamble on stock markets. They start to gamble on cryptos, you know, recently. And so they get really excited with this extra capital that the that the banks have created. Is that a is that a? Can you guys hear me?
0: Yeah, yeah, we can. Um, yeah. Uh, it just depends who we want to direct that question at. Uh, I guess there's uh, a few speakers who could answer it.
7: Yeah, I guess could be could be see. Uh, first and maybe xo after yeah i mean i think what you know
5: that's a good point that the the liquidity situation is not 100% tied to the fed it's probably not even it's probably evenly distributed amongst a lot of different factors um but i also just think that liquidity at a, as a whole is is and i said this before is more of a pre, uh, a product of risk appetite and i i just don't see the risk appetite being sustained in this market over the near term um, which which will continue to just limit all risk on assets from a major breakout which is which is also part of the reason why we've been short uh, for the last week or so. Um, the
7: near term for you just just to get an idea is sort of days to weeks. Yeah,
5: generally weeks. We're not necessarily calling like a daily move on anything. Uh, Maybe, you know, yeah, a a couple weeks at the shortest is what most of our time frames are. Obviously, things sometimes move a lot quicker and things might, you know, our setup might be, our trade might, might be closed within a couple days if some crazy market action happens. But generally, we're looking uh at least a couple weeks out. Most of our setups are, you know, even up to a month out. Um, So that's what we define as more of like short term.
7: All right. you yeah, no, I can definitely agree with that. You know, I think you mentioned 4070 on the S&P. I'm looking almost dead on that price at 4067 as my um, rejection level, and I really yeah. want to see it get over 4080 in the short term to start to mount another, you know, push towards that 4200 level. So yeah, I, I agree. Short term definitely could be bearish on that. I guess if I go longer term, more so into the, uh, you know, the weekly chart or maybe even the monthly chart. I still see the October low set on the S&P as probably being the bear market cycle low, and probably at this stage, probably not retesting that low at 3,500. If we did, then the next level is around 32. But I, I, at the moment, because that December low has been put in around 3,800, uh, and we've got higher lows, higher highs, you know, it's sort of pushing to the upside to try and test this 42. Is that sort of what you're seeing, say, on the more longer term, or you just don't focus that that far out? No,
5: yeah, no, of course. We're always looking at both time frames. Um I, I definitely agree. I think forty two hundred is to the upside is the long term level um to watch on the S P, particularly if everyone because, flips bullish there. Oh yeah, that I mean that has been the clear cap, like I mean, the forty one to forty two hundred range has been the long term cap since like you know, summer, maybe August of of twenty twenty two. Um, yeah, we had that saw... test
7: in May, and then the support in March of 2022, and then it broke down. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
5: Right. Yep. And then to the downside, um, I actually think that we're you know the the real long term pivot is the 38.85 low, which was on January 19th. That that would be like the first major higher low of the recent uptrend that would be invalidated to cause you know that next big gap lower, which then opens for 37.60 from December 22nd so I, I would say that the wider long term range is from call it thirty eight eighty five to forty two hundred and and you know respectively either bulls or bears need to break either of those ends to get some some serious price action going out of this range
7: all right so that yeah good good to understand at least in the short term long term, and then we can start to uh, talk i guess the more macro thing when it comes to the liquidity at least in the short term, yeah, we're all on the same page here because uh, I mean the technicals basically say that across no matter which technical we're looking at um, but in terms of the longer term picture which I, I tend to focus on a fair bit when we go for say a real estate cycle because we all know that it takes a lot longer to play out than you know the stock market or crypto um, in terms of that liquidity and the basis coming in in the market it seems like we're sort of pushing up does anyone else sort of follow the real estate cycle and where that's going or everyone's sort of more focused on stock markets and crypto of course so, I thought we follow some real estate, um, but w- could you elaborate more
5: on what you mean by liquidity? Come- I mean, are you talking about real estate? I mean, real estate prices have been on, the- on a six-month decline. I think rents are starting to fall again. W- what-, what do you mean by liquidity? Do you mean liquidity for the people that are currently that own real estate or people that are rotating into real estate, out of real estate? What, what do you mean by that?
7: I mean, with the banks starting to offer different products, the government's getting involved to allow... Uh, the the everyday person to be able to afford property because obviously the main narrative is people can't afford real estate anymore interest rates are high um, wages haven't increased that much etc um, right. But yeah, it's sort of what we see with each cycle. Once we get this massive collapse, for example, the GFC, or around 2018, we also had that sort of slowdown across many markets. The governments will sort of tighten things with their regulations, and then as things loosen up, or they need to allow them to loosen up, they start to loosen those regulations again, while no one's sort of looking, or it's not in the news, and then we get the same sort of repeat again. So that's what I mean by liquidity with the uh, mm. banks potentially.
5: Coming yeah, into I think the I think that's 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 kind of like we view that as a secondary factor right now. I think, look, number one, we don't think this is O A. I mean, it's a lot different of a landscape. This is more like a two thousand one style correction or bear market with with equity valuations uh, being corrected. But on the on the real estate front, I mean, we don't think it's O A. I think you you, you will see. Maybe a twenty percent correction in the real estate market over the next year or so it could could be more severe depending on how long rates are elevated and how high we go but i I don't think that any source of liquidity uh, and this is just my opinion um is is gonna come in from the real estate markets and within the next year at this point. So if you're looking like five years out or three, four years out that that's certainly you know that would be like the maybe the start of the next secular bull market type of thing.
7: Do so you think for, it might take about three years before the real estate market starts to move up again? I wouldn't say three years for it to start moving up
5: again, but to see substantial liquidity. Um, I, I, I mean, the Fed is talking about inflation won't, I mean, and obviously take this with a grain of salt, but the Fed doesn't see inflation to 2% by 2025. So that means that the Fed is considering restrictive policy, you know, until at least next year at this time. And maybe even beyond. Then, so um, it's hard to see a case where real estate markets start just start ripping higher. Like, and, and and to see a low rate environment within the next, you know, two years even is pretty hard to see.
7: So, is, is that sorry? Um, oh, XO, you wanted to say something? Sorry, I'm taking over.
6: Your no, job no. Actually, just got a few questions for you with regards to the uh, U.S. housing market. Uh, more than anything. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was just doing some research earlier. Now, we know that the, uh, in terms of the U.S. housing market, there's been, you know, some decent price decline. The K-Shiller index fell for six consecutive months. The median, median new home selling price decreased by 15%. Now, previously, we know supply shortage generally suggests home prices can't fall any lower, but Across all 20 major cities, there's been price declines. Leading indicators have predicted, you know, significant decline in late 2022, early 2023. Um, So, you know, and especially when you look at some of the areas, like there's been some real swift declines in areas with new high construction, such as Phoenix and Las Vegas. Um, But overall, when I look at the U.S. market from where everything that I've read, there, there has been a significant decline in 2022 heading into 2023. And there's certainly uncertainty about 2023. Now, we know that there's two housing markets in the US, right? We've got existing home market and the new home market. Now, existing home market involves buying and selling homes with previous owners. New market uh, home involves purchasing newly constructed homes. Now, if we know that existing home market represents about 85% of all transactions, and new uh, home market is 15%, but there's been a significant drop. And uh, and like I said, if there's a reduction in supply, then you'd, you'd hope prices would hold up but i don't think that's the case I, I don't know what your views are with regards to that knowing that the existing home market only has i think around about three months of inventory which is extremely low and, and prices typically typically rise in the situation but we're not really seeing price stability i, I, I suppose over the next you know, are we going to see price stability over the next few months i'm not too sure just, just want to know your, your thoughts on the u.s housing market with regards to some of the uh, facts that I've just stated there?
7: for Sure. Um, Over the next few months, I I think it's probably too short of a time frame for real estate itself. But if I span it out a little bit longer, maybe over the course of this year into 2024, I'm seeing a turnaround because of the different areas of the US. So you've got the couple of markets that you talked about, the existing and the, the new builds. I'm also looking at the different Areas which you've probably seen the data for as well, where you've got like, uh, was it the West Coast, your 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 Seattle's San Francisco's, California's, all those sort of cities that people traditionally buy up into, usually at the beginning of the real estate cycle, and then as we get that shift through halfway, they start to uh, leave those markets for whatever reason that comes in at that time. And this particular cycle, the reason was uh, the pandemic. You know, people leaving those cities and moving to other, you know, out. Out of cities or uh, the other states that people tend to move towards this case it's been Nevada's uh, Texas Florida that sort of thing and you also said that those areas have also seen a decline of course you know we all look at charts we all know that charts they go up and then have a pullback the harder they go up usually they pull back uh, harder you know if we're going up at hundred percent we're going to come back about twenty percent in some of the data that we've seen here in Australia so I'm, I'm I'll try and stick just to the US and and then talk about Australia because obviously that's the market I'm more familiar with. But with those, I haven't seen the data for the declines and whether the declines are lessening, which is what we're seeing here in Australia. So we saw, you know, month over month, it was like 1.6%, then 1.5, 1.4, 1.1. And as chartists, we can tell, well, you know, the the drop is becoming less and less, and usually that's a sign of a, a bottoming and we start to move away again, which, of course, in real estate will take many, many months. And we, of course, have that lagging data as well. So in terms of your, your questions, whether that's going to start turning around again, because there was, I think what you said, there was about three months of inventory left, or at least that's what the, the data is saying. Mm-hmm. Potentially, that will come towards the end of this year and usually, in these times when everyone's sort of confused about what's going on we we all know that when it comes to the the market sentiment they're usually the best times to be to be buying up but then the the problem is well, is the confusion still too early on in the cycle, or are we coming towards the end of that confusion and in 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 charts, at least we have a technical level, whereas most of us agree on s and p if it breaks forty two hundred you know kiss the bears goodbye we're probably far more throwing the probabilities into the bulls, whereas with real estate, it's much harder because we don't have that sort of data for each individual area with each individual type of property like it's just a little bit harder to see which is why we sort of then focus back on in terms of where we are in that cycle with the the slowing of the declines and then try to compare that to how far up was the move previously uh, to give us a better understanding of you know are we about to experience a higher low in the prices or is this continuing to tumble. So in terms of where we currently see it, I think we're sort of coming towards that higher low point. And then we start to wait to see those other factors come into the market, uh, maybe next year or the year after. But we're also seeing it here in Australia, some things in the UK as well, where we're starting to see some of that liquidity come in from the banks rather than the Fed, you know, the government, which then allows the buyers to come in and, you know, start to pick up those properties again and start to move those prices.
6: Would you say that um, home builders still have too much supply, and we are going to see supply numbers jump up again as, as buyer demand slows down under the pressure of um, higher mortgage rates? I, I mean, if you look at Europe and the US, with rates likely to push higher, I think in January we saw some form of resurgence in the housing market. Um, but I think as rates have continued to push on, there's been a realization that. Um, perhaps it's not, it's not a good time to, well, go out and then purchase a property on high mortgage rates. I, I think those individuals are locked in on a 30-year um, mortgage are fine, but... Yeah, it really... I think the
7: majority of the market is locked in at, at uh, below 4%. I saw something today, I think it was about 70 or 80% of the market is below 4% on their mortgages in the US, which isn't going to affect them for years. And so it kind of takes away that fear of, all these mortgages coming um, coming off their their contracts or their terms, and then you know dumping on the market because their their mortgages have gone up double or triple. So I think that's kind of a fear that the media has brought in. Um, sorry, you were you were finishing a question.
6: Yeah, but doesn't that also then um, bring about a slowdown in demand because people are now less reluctant to move because they know that they cannot afford higher rates? So. Then there's is there a question of activity in the housing market will decline and therefore we'll see a drop off in demand and still there's too much supply inventory because of higher rates.
7: I think it, there's a few different things there. You know we tend to just focus on what can the average consu- consumer afford, and we sort of focus on them. Whereas there's sort of just like one person buying one property, as opposed to you know a company that could buy multiple properties or. Um, you know, overseas investors that can afford multiple properties. So there's that which I think takes care of more of the demand and they're sort of looking for other areas to, to invest. The other thing is we're sort of just focusing on what can they afford now at these interest rates, whereas we've seen different things happen in Australia and in the UK and we may start to see them in the US. I'll have to go and find more of that data, but things like they extend the... Um, the mortgages that happened in China, actually. So instead of being able to have a mortgage at 70, you can get it up to 80 years old, like just absolutely stupid, crazy things. But of course, you know what happens when you extend the mortgage, then it makes those um, those repayments cheaper. So in theory, you can afford something that is higher value. But uh, I don't know how that's going to end up in 20 years time. But I don't think politicians really care about 20 years time. They care about property prices going up because that gets them re-elected. So do what you can now to get re-elected. We have that election coming up next year, so they'll start to come up with some of these ideas. In Australia, you've got other things like you, you need 20% down, for example. Or you, you, there are other loan types that you can have less than 20%, but essentially if you have 20% down, that saves you on the lender's mortgage insurance, which is crazy amounts here, probably the same overseas. Uh, so the government will um, upfront. front... Fifteen percent of that twenty percent. Therefore, you need less money to get into a property, and that also helps out that buyer where as before they couldn't afford it, whereas they can now. So that's just sort of two simple examples of how they start to make property more affordable when those interest rates are higher to try to attract more demand. And government, as we all know, governments need to have demand on real estate, especially in Australia, because this is our main area that um, or the main asset class that helps people. Grow their wealth. It's the main thing that people focus on here. Same sort of thing in the UK as well.
6: Yeah, the the UK market is very fascinating. um I think UK market is likely to see higher rates, but I think outside of London, there has there has been a, at least a fifteen twenty percent correction, especially in areas where there's been many apartments and one one studio bedroom flats. But I think the housing market, especially in the part of London that I live in, has held up fairly well. um yeah, definitely. So it really has surprised me. It's held up very well. Probably the top end of the market, we've seen some hefty declines of 15%, 20 25%. But, but we also around...
7: hefty gains, you know, like this similar sort of thing. Yeah, You, you would have seen, uh, look, I know my area is a little bit different here, but we had properties that were 1.5 million. They shot up to two and a half, three million 3 million just in that pandemic because what happens, and it's sort of similar around the world, and I think I mentioned this in the last couple of weeks, it's the same mentality, but at a different stage uh different asset class you got bitcoin you got altcoins. bitcoin for us is like the melbourne sydney i guess in the u.s you could say it's sort of like the la new york um, San fran the bigger cities once that stuff becomes too expensive people start to look um, outside of that for the cheaper stuff and that's what's happened here it happens every cycle they come up to brisbane they come up to the gold coast because what they had for four million down in melbourne they can now get an absolutely epic place up here. And because the pandemic spurred that on with, um, you know, people being able to live wherever they want to live. Now they can have a $4 million. Well, it's only two and a half million dollars to live on the water with jet skis and massive house. Whereas before they can't get jack shit in Melbourne. So it's, it's the kind of same thing in San Fran, LA. It's like you move out, uh, what to, to Las Vegas or to Florida. Um, Those things shoot up even more because there was, there's kind of less supply. And then uh, it, it starts to pull back because we need to just have that, that correction before we start to move again. UK is probably the same with your areas. I don't, I don't know which those areas are. Uh, what, you know, what particularly are those areas? Is it London? They start to move out to the outer you know, country towns or to the coast again because I don't need to be in the city. And you sort of start to see those areas rise. And it happens every cycle if you're able to look back on that, that data
6: Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Joseph. Cheers.
7: I don't know if I've gone off on too many tangents there, XO, but
6: no, it's it's fascinating to hear the dynamics of different countries and mortgage rates and property markets across the globe. I, th- I think the one that we all look towards is the US, but each each country has its own dynamic, you know, in terms of uh, the duration of the mortgage um, taken out or borrowed. So yeah, fascinating. Yeah.
7: The governments will try whatever they can to make that mortgage cheaper, regardless of the interest rates rising as well. It's just, it helps them get reelected. People remain a little bit happier if they can afford, because we all, at the end of those cycles, like 2005, 6, 7, I was working in real estate, I was buying real estate, and it was just, that was all we heard it was young people can't afford property anymore. And that is coming back, like as the prices start to rise that same narrative comes back. People forget what happened the previous generation because by the time it comes back, it's 20 years ago. Generations have changed, and it's the same story repeating, as we know from charts. It's essentially history repeating, but in this, in, in a rhyme. And the same thing happens on real estate, but in a in a longer term cycle. And the U.S. does lead everything, and we sort of get
0: that flow down effect. Um, Do you think, Jason, the the what you just pointed on in terms of like. I guess like stimulus to help people buy property. Do you think that mainly just affects the lower like end of the market though? Like the higher end is obviously still affected by, um, by rates rising. Like more so than like your six hundred thousand dollar property. That's.
7: Um, I I think they'll they'll still be able to buy property at the higher end. Was, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. You've got internationals coming through as well as China starts to open up. Uh, I've got. A friend actually he's just starting to build over in bali there's a lot of people doing bali so it might be a slight tangent but you start to see people go and search for other areas and it's it's almost exactly the same thing that happens in crypto bitcoin goes up and it's like well there's not too many gains left there let's go and find the altcoins which are going to pump uh bitcoin not necessarily dumps and it just maintains its level and then you start to see those other areas pump I'm seeing that a lot across social media. You know, people buying up and trying to build in, in Bali, in Thailand. You can see Dubai's property market going absolutely nuts. You can see the world's biggest, greatest whatever being built in the Middle East. And then that starts to spread across. I, th- I just saw an article actually this morning. You've got the biggest ever stadium in the UK, I think, for Man United. It's like these sort of projects happen towards the end of the cycle, and they'll all start to be completed Towards the peak of the cycle, because everyone has money now. As for us at the bottom end, you know, we're really shuffling around half a million or a million bucks to buy a property. It's not sort of the news that we hear, or it's not the news that people want to hear, or they they're that interested about. When it comes to what the wealthy are doing and where they're moving, obviously, Russia's had problems, Ukraine have had problems. Those guys are fleeing out, and they're pumping up the markets in Bali and Thailand. I know those areas because, you know, I'm closer to home and I've got friends who are moving over there. They're seeing the property uh, property markets go absolutely nuts and they're building there. The same sort of thing happens here in Australia. Uh, it'll happen in the UK, maybe uh, sort of around those coastal regions, the coastal regions here in Australia. They start to move out in the US as well. And that's sort of that next stage where they get a little bit... Um, everyone's sort of chasing those bigger gains faster gains and that's where things can get really unstable because when you go to move into those those what coastal regions that really don't have any sort of grounding to them and all they are is hospitality or tourism that's when stuff can get crazy and the sort of banks will start leveraging up to um, fund those developments over there yes in Bali Thailand you might just need some cash so then you've got those people leaving the countries pouring cash into those areas and then eventually in the market sort of collapses from that point. So that's that's the real end of the tale uh, for the market to collapse. And I guess, you know, coming full circle, I'm not seeing that at the end just yet. I'm sort of starting to see all of those things happening now, which then fuels the growth into this last stage of the cycle. And after that happens, shit hits the fan. But it's at the peak that, the same thing in, in crypto. Everyone's happy. There's no way things can fall down. That's this time that we get real scared. Whereas at the moment, everyone's scared. So I, I, I'm sort of contrary view at this point.
0: That's good perspective. Good insight. It's um, yeah, it's interesting to hear to hear about real estate. Obviously, does have blown effects as well into like equities. Well, it's the main and... thing
7: that leads everything, like it's the entire cycle, is basically based on real estate land values because all of the profits made from uh crypto uh businesses tech whatever basically eventually all finds its way back into the land value so once <laughs> that collapses it's you know these the system's over for it's true can here. confirm
0: can confirm yeah. because when, when when I make money on shitcoin and and I want somewhere to park that cash for my the next like my entire future basically I'm not I'm basically thinking land and gold. <laughs> I love Bitcoin yeah. as much as the next guy, but uh, I'm sorry mm-hmm. if I'm taking money off the table, it's going into a house. It's going
6: well, into lastly, the, the The real estate is the biggest uh, market in the world, isn't it, to be honest with yourself? If that
7: collapses, is,
6: we're in a lot of yeah. shit. Like yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think for me, from everything I've researched and read, I think that the housing market, the real estate market, is the economy, essentially. Whether it's the global economy, it remains to be seen in like... You've pointed out the buy is very active at the moment. It's pretty much booming. But it'd um, be fascinating to see how, perhaps, whether we see a global recession or whether it's just segregated to perhaps America, Australia, Europe, and the Middle East continues thriving. You mean now,
7: like sort of 2023 timing?
6: Yeah. Like if, if, the, if obviously America, the US economy, the British economy, the Eurozone heads into recession. I'd be intrigued to see how that impacts on the Middle East and developing regions and regions that are booming, such as uh, Dubai and India. I- I'd love to see what happens in that instance.
7: It might be that by the time they announce recession, it's sort of we're through it or there, there isn't a recession or it's very light. And, you know, one one sort of theory could be that we don't actually see a recession or it's not announced. And so by the time we get to this next peak and people are saying, oh, look, I think the system's going to collapse because everything is too rosy. Uh, the news and the media will look back on now, 2023 or 2022, and say, hey, we got through it pretty well all right then. We're going to do it again now. And that's what has happened in the past before, where it's like, look, we got through it. We're going to do well. Don't worry, everyone. The markets are great, and they dump. You know, there's there's in history, there's been a quote like that almost at every single peak. You know, I learned this from um, Phil Anderson and uh, that other uh british guy that uh, that i mentioned i think last time fred harrison where you get at the peak of the market it'll be like a politician or you know, the the president or something and they just talk about how great the market is they've done a fantastic job like what trump did at um in 2019 at i think it was one of the speeches there it was everything is perfect we got through it and then next thing you know it was collapse 2020
6: cheers appreciate that
0: so I just want to pivot off off the um, real estate slash like uh, ta yeah. discussion yeah. and talk and talk about like some crypto specific headwinds So Kabisi, um, I'm not sure like you're welcome to stay on if you want to if you want to add to this or you're also welcome to leave I'm not sure how like um, into like, Mt. Gox and silvergate and stuff you are if you know actually yeah, if you know we- anything about silvergate I've done some research
5: on it. Um, I, I, I'll stay on for another 10 minutes. I have to go at 6.45 anyway. So.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, And, and same with you, Exo. So I, I, you're welcome to leave at any time as well. Um, yeah,
6: I just want to say thank you very much to everybody for tuning in. I appreciate you all for giving me a platform. A real pleasure, Jason, to connect with you once again on Spaces. Kabisi, fantastic speaking to you for the first time and everybody else uh, in the uh, Spaces. Hopefully we can uh, do it again and- God bless you all, and have a have a great week ahead of you. Thanks, uh, Miles, for having me on. Uh, thanks, bro. You
0: You're always always welcome in the space. Always great to hear your insight and give EXO as well as the other speakers a uh, a follow for yeah for some thanks, uh, what I sir. thought was a great discussion.
6: Thank you, mate. Cheers.
0: So basically, um, there's like a how I see the market now is clearly you've got like the the macro impacts, you've got technicals. Um, like, and obviously, a lot of that does follow news. But, I mean, it's clear that in the short term, I think what's causing, I, I guess, a bit of uh, like boring sideways price action is the some of the crypto-specific head- headwinds that we're getting. So, of course, the like, stock market did have like a slight rally over the last couple of days. I mean, yesterday, like it, it cooled off a little bit. But I think two days ago, we 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 broke that 4,000 level on the um, S&P, but crypto we saw obviously like a major decline, and then, um, and then obviously since then it's just been mostly sideways. So the reason I think that's the case is because you have Silvergate headwinds uh, with their collapse, you have headwinds related to and, and I did a thread that explains all of them. Mt. Gox like that's back in the news again, and that tends to spook investors. We also had have obviously like a a few concerns around Ethereum and the Shanghai. Um, upgrade. So there's like quite a lot to unpack there, and I don't don't want to talk about all of those for too long because, uh, I think Rand the other day did a great, uh, space on that, and I also did did a thread on it. But I I think Mt. Gox is like one thing I wanted to discuss as well as Silvergate because I feel like they're two of the major, I guess, bearish narratives in the market right now. Maybe that's why people feel tentative because of those. So I guess starting with Mt. Gox and Maybe we don't get too into like the maths and stuff, but just a more general discussion. How do we feel like that's going to impact the market? Do we feel like that's being fully priced in? Of course, it's a very hard question to answer. Someone that's researched it a lot, I, I don't even know if I can really answer that question because it's there's so many factors. But we did see the two biggest Bitcoin um, creditors did elect to receive their payment in Bitcoin and not fiat, maybe an indication that they won't be selling and then like maybe other creditors will follow suit. But yeah, I'd be interested in anyone here that has thoughts on Mt. Gox, um, so like,
5: yeah, share actually, how you do. I've been looking into this. Um, I mean, we do cover some Bitcoin, uh, obviously not our main thing, but, um, we, we were recently on a space with the brand, um, talking about this, uh, and it's interesting because I, I just think a liquidity. I mean, Mount Mount Gox is is pretty much a liquidity event, right? That's that's what people are arguing is that liquidity event priced in. I think it's hard to price say it's priced in or not, especially with an event like that. But if you look at you know the facts, first of all, two of the largest creditors are are already you know taking payouts in, in Bitcoin. They've already agreed, which represent twenty percent of the claims. Um, A lot of, I've spoken with people that I know that were, that actually are getting paid Bitcoin from Mt. Gox because they had Bitcoin there in 2014. And a lot of these people are are early adopters. They have, you know, anywhere from, uh, you know, most people have a lot of money in there. I mean, a lot of them millions or or hundreds of thousands. And a lot of these people are, are still believing in, you know, crypto and Bitcoin as a whole. So I don't think they're necessarily rushing to exit. Now the other argument is though that um, maybe these people being early adopters, they'll they'll start to go into some more speculative coins. They want something other than Bitcoin, something a little bit more risky, which could cause some selling pressure. Um, but I think either way, for if you're a long term focus, if you're fundamentally a believer in crypto and Bitcoin, and this does result in a in a landslide in the markets or some sort of liquidity event, that's the best possible way to to buy more in our view. I mean, that's something that we've done a lot in the equity markets. Like you'll have, you'll have weird things happen where, I don't know, the CEO of some comp, some public company will have, uh, will be accused of something or he'll do something weird in the media and then the stock falls. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, no one remembers it because it was just basically a headline. They got markets moving. So, um, I I, I guess the long story for us here is that we think, you know, a liquidity risk is hard to price in liquidity event could it take prices down a bit yes but if you're long term focused this is going to this is a great buying opportunity
0: like you just said i agree i think like liquidity events are like your number one um your number one buy events like it's very very different from a macro event where something like actually might impact long term fundamentals but this is just like purely supply driven
5: yeah absolutely so I mean, that's, that's my view. I, I am going to drop here, but um, again, thanks for having me on and, and to everyone for listening. It's, it's truly, honestly, Fintwin, and Twin, and everyone involved has become such a great community. So thanks for, for having me on here.
0: Thanks very much. Um, yeah, I loved you on the space. Thanks, Kabishi. It was insight. really
7: good to hear about that and the yep. other
5: macro side of things. Thank you. Thank you all. Yeah, hopefully I'll be back on soon. So take care.
0: For sure. Um... Umbrella, do you have any... I know it's getting late for you, sir. <laughs> um, we're on the macro discussion for a while. If, you, if you're still awake, yeah, do you yeah, have I'm, any views yeah, on, on I'm, Gox? I, I, I'm more just
4: interested to listen when they talk macro and charts, not my area of expertise. Um, I think on the uh, Mount Gox, I mean, I, I, that, again, not my area of expertise, but on the Shanghai, I think, you know, there's some good threats. There was one I saw out today... Effectively says that actually most of the staked ETH is already liquid, so in LSD protocol. So if someone wanted to exit that staked ETH, they could do it anyway. Um, They might take a bit of slippage on it, but they could. So why would you, if you wanted to sell it, why would you wait to properly unstake it when you could just sell it into a liquid staking protocol now. Um, And secondly, you know, well, there's a couple other things that Ethereum's total stake percentage is is significantly lower um, than any other proof of stake chain. Um, And that's basically Mm. due to one factor I see, uh, and I know a lot of people are in the same boat as me, is that we don't really want to stake until we know what the withdrawal time is going to be. And you don't know that until the withdrawal. It's not a set date like other past chains. Other past chains is like set in terms of a set time frame in terms of how long you've got to wait to unstake. Whereas it's a bit different. It's based on the demand. Um, so I guess a lot of people are probably going to wait um to get a bit of data to see actually how long And just general risk too, compared. right?
0: Yeah, I mean it's a- like just general risk with Shanghai, like I don't know, you, you just don't know. Like Shanghai could mess up. Probably doesn't, but there's a small chance it does, and then like maybe you just don't want to be staked. <laughs> if that's an event that happens and it causes like a backlog of withdrawals or something. Like it's obviously a like like a worst case scenario, but it's actually one of the reasons why the majority of my ETH isn't staked at the moment. I do it. I think I have a bit in LIDO but that's it. Like Um, most is unstaked I'm just kind of waiting because I view it kind of probably similar to you and probably similar to a lot of other ETH holders it's like well I can just wait 30 days get a bit more clarity and I miss out on 0.1% you know Yeah, exactly the yield's not
4: you know significantly high that it's worth the risk but yeah you, you can wait and you can also see you know also, you know, you don't know the withdrawal time. Yes, withdrawals are enabled, but you don't know, okay, will the Q be two months? I'm not saying it will, but it could be, right? And you really want to wait that much time um, to be able to withdraw. Um, so it's it's, a, it's it's a question you don't know based on the kind of, demand for both staking and unstaking. I definitely think there'll be more kind of people wanting to stake than unstake um, just because the percentage of the amount of ETH that's staked.
1: Yeah. You also have the fact that most ETH, I think a pretty strong majority right now that's staked is underwater from the time that it was staked. So I don't really see who is the person that has liquid staked ETH. They're underwater. And they say, you know, let me let me just wait and see how Shanghai plays out before I sell. I guess maybe they think if it's successful, the price will go up. But to me, my my expectation is that the market will probably have heavy volatility in advance, and then long run, once we see it Shanghai go through successfully, you'll see a lot more people choosing to stake their ETH.
0: And then, does that mean? I mean, I think that can definitely be a catalyst for like liquid staking derivatives. Of course, that's also a similar question in terms of like. How much that's priced into the, like, prices of some of these governance tokens, which maybe don't even accrue value that effectively, at least in Lido's case. But, like, do we view that as, like, a bullish thing for, for liquid staking? Cause, I mean, if you're gonna stake Ethereum, um, post Shanghai, like, I, I, I view the majority of people viewing liquid staking as a more favorable, um, proposition versus, Validate node Well, well, it depends,
4: right? Because you don't. If the withdrawal queue is not that long, your stake being liquid is not that important. So they more become a staking as a service. So
0: them taking a percentage of. This- I guess the capital efficiency, though. Like I don't know. It depends. I don't know how highly people value DeFi, like on a broader scale. But like I like having Lido because staked Ethereum in Lido because then I can just go and put it into like another. Um, like borrowing and lending money market get like borrow against it if I need to like make a trade. Um, or like, you know, stake it for like a few extra percent. I guess it's like a capital efficiency play. If you're into DeFi, and then you got to weigh up like, is it worth the protocol risk? Obviously, like for an extra four or five percent, is it worth like using and not like stacking two third parties on top of each other? That's like another question, but yeah, I, I think it depends on the user. I think a large percentage of people probably prefer it. How, what, what do you think? About yeah, well, there's
1: the thing. I would say most most users, in terms of raw number, they're not going to have 32 ETH, and they're not going to be wanting to learn how to run the hardware nodes. So, so to me, that's a huge part of the value proposition. Uh, and and then even if you have larger players, right, they they might not be that interested in in spinning up all of those nodes themselves. So, yeah, I, I would say a lot of most ETH that's staked will continue to be liquid staked. If I had to make a prediction.
0: I think Ethan had actually the 32 ETH thing is a bit of a bummer for the majority of people. It's like, what, 50 grand worth of ETH, basically. Yeah, but there's also a lot of
4: technical expertise involved in having to run your own validator. So, and the ongoing maintenance. Mm. So it's not like, you know, just the, the cost involved. I
0: mean, like... With- like I, I don't even run my own. I wouldn't run my own, even with yeah no
4: I mean if you want, Unlimited if, you had, really it, if you had it, you could use services like ledger I think I've partnered i can 't remember their name like an infrastructure firm that effectively they take the risk of the validator node um and it's insured, so if it slashes you don't lose anything so um they take a more percentage of the uh, the rewards, but that's an option you could do. You could use basically a third party infrastructure firm, so that's a pure saving mm. as a service with no kind of LSD or liquid staking attached to it
1: yeah I think that the question is though how many people really want to do that most people they just want to buy and then they want to earn a yield on their assets they don't don't want to have to worry about all of those things
0: yeah so the, we view the, the Shanghai
4: upgrade the, the nice sorry I'm really the nice thing is that that's gas free right so you can stay gas free with that with with doing that, whereas kind of with Lido, there's a there's a gas cost involved, so it's like <laughs> i guess I guess that's pretty so you don't really care about the gas costs involved I guess that's that i guess i guess the better thing with kind of more centralized exchanges it helps kind of very small users that you know the gas cost for them is prohibitive um and I'm just thinking on, on that end. Um, but I guess that doesn't solve it anyways. If you've got to put 32 ETH in it, um, for it to run a even if it's, it's, it's gas free. Um, um, it's, it's still for, for that user that the gas cost is negligible.
1: Yeah. I think a big part of the question as well is, you know, of these, um, of, of these retail people, Who are, well, for for these retail programs for staking is how hard does the SEC actually come down on liquid staking derivatives? Do they go after every centralized staking program like they did Kraken or do they build a way for you to create one of those programs in a way that's compliant? Because I I think that that's probably going to play a big role in terms of, in terms of what's available because we can say the United States isn't everything, but, but, uh, realistically, realistically, it seems like many of these players are abiding by what the sec says
4: so, but they went off the kraken but they haven't gone off the coinbases so that that's or well, yet i guess is the question is the
1: yeah yeah so, so that's the
4: big question right is is
1: is, is do they go after the coinbases and there was a rumor floating around a few days ago which seems to have been debunked but do they do they go after the liquid staking derivatives as well and can they even do that
0: yeah how would they even control that in practice how
1: would that work? Well, they could do what they did with Tornado Cash. I mean, that seems a bit extreme, right? But, but that <laughs> is always on the table.
4: Well, the liquid staking isn't completely decentralized, so they still run the validator nodes, so they could tell them to shut down their validator nodes, right? So, um, it's not like, I guess they, the, I guess I haven't looked into their smart contracts if they're immutable so that's one thing like Tornado Cash was completely immutable smart contracts so it's not like the the team could, could do anything to it anyway um, <laughs> but that's the question is the smart contracts immutable but still someone's got to run a validator node on um, a, a computer, well, computer system somewhere so they could tell them to shut those down well I guess they could whether legally they can but I guess theoretically they could Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and where are those headquartered?
1: Right. How many of those are on, say, AWS or some other server that's geographically in the United States or another country that would would abide by the U.S. request to shut it down? And and then there's always, like you said, targeting individuals as well. Right. You know, even if someone says that they care a lot about decentralization, are they willing to sacrifice their financial security or their family's financial security in the name of ETH liquid staking?
0: I just wanted to quickly, um, shout out as well the sponsor of the spaces, KyberSwap. It, I posted a, I just pinned a tweet, um, from Banter. There's a link to their, to their website as well as their page. They're a DEX aggregator. If you want to trade, I think it's a great place to do. So any, any kind of spot trade swapping on a DEX, they're across, I think you now like 11 networks. So basically, yeah, it's, it'll, it'll aggregate for you and, and get you the best rates. So sh- to wrap up the Shanghai discussion we I guess uh, what I'm sensing is consensus is that it's not going to really impact the market maybe as much as the doomsdays will say and I admit i I've come out with some quick baby tiles uh, thumbnails over the last few days for uh, <laughs> the Shanghai what, what, stuff but that's just the YouTube what, what, game what, what, actually the content itself is more so uh, Yeah, no, that's it, how you have kind to
1: do of the YouTube game but but the, yeah. the thing is how much will the anticipation
0: of shanghai and i think this
1: applies to mount gox as well is how much of how much will the anticipation of those events affect the market All right cuz because a lot of this is going to come down to exactly even if most eth that's staked is already liquid and even if most 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 of it is underwater so it's not like they're sitting on huge huge unrealized gains if people anticipate that they'll be selling and that narrative catches hold then it doesn't really matter whether people are selling or not
0: Well, yeah, and I, and I think that is one of the reasons right now why I mean probably it's more macro related because we're waiting for, you know, powder speak, we're waiting for CPI and that kind of stuff. But that's what, I definitely at least one of the headwinds as to why the market's like a little bit indecisive early this week. But I I don't know. I feel like the East Shanghai fud kind of peaked maybe Friday Thursday Friday last week. Do we think it maybe has like a bit of a resurgence into the lead up to Shanghai, which is now like looking like mid April? Um, like that's really the question and we can't predict that because we don't know how, what the market's going to do. So I think all we can really do is look at the impact of the, the selling itself. I, I did in my thread, if you guys like want to scroll back on my timeline a little bit, I, I linked a couple of really good threads, which kind of detail the math, the mild, mid and aggressive scenarios of what the supply could look like if like every withdrawal actually ended up selling and even in the case of like every withdrawal selling i think like the total impact on the market would be like, quite minimal i mean ETH's daily volumes like what 10 billion dollars and it's like two billion dollars worth of supply over a 60-day period and that's like pretty lenient it could actually be longer than that we don't
1: yeah so again it comes back to the metagame it comes back to the metagame of of do people think that others will sell, right? And it's sort of like game theory where, where, you know, you think, well, you know, just in case they sell, I'm going to get out ahead of time and see how the Shanghai volatility plays out.
0: Exactly, exactly. And what about Silvergate? That's the third, that's kind of like the third um, headwind at the moment. You've kind of got Mt. Gox, you've got ETH, and then you've got Silvergate. Do we think... And I will wish
8: I'm really lazy at Uber Eats
0: breakfast, but to be fair, I'm on a spaces my my logic behind that is uh, I'm on a spaces, and if I leave the house, I'll be cut off because of the internet, so that's my justification of being extremely lazy, but he keeps calling me. It's probably saying the foods <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah, I was gonna ask you about about Silvergate um is that potentially? Like, how do we view the impact on, on the market of like a, a Silvergate collapse, which is looking like more and more likely? And I, as I said, I, Scott would be a great one, but he's obviously couldn't stay with us for the whole time.
7: Silvergate, does anyone want to jump in, or we'll get my technical thoughts? Yeah, I mean,
1: you can lead the discussion. Yeah, you can lead the discussion. <laughs>
7: right, thanks, Patrick. It'll be, I think it'll be quite short. I posted about this on Twitter uh, the other day. We've gone nowhere for three days after that announcement and I just said it looked very similar to a random Thursday in February, 5% down in the, on the 9th of Feb, we were 4.7% down on the 3rd of March, which was the Silvergate. So you know, some of the discussion is, oh, it hasn't been priced in yet because, you know, it's not official, but I, I think the market's are always trying to price in these sorts of events we're still trading above the FTX collapse price, which, if you wanted to use the date of the eighth of November, the top was around twenty thousand six hundred and seventy-five. So call it twenty and a half thousand. Plenty of support at around twenty thousand three hundred. Even if, so say worst case scenario, if this took another dumpage, once we had some other update from Silvergate, like they are collapsing or whatever. Uh, and we stayed above those levels of the FTX collapse, the 50% level at 20,300, uh, other support at 20,600, so basically that mid level of the 20,000s. Then I would just write it off as another uh, fud, uh, you know, fud event and a good dollar cost averaging time to buy on a on a dip in a more macro look at Bitcoin, where I I think and what my analysis is saying is that November low is more than likely the low now and any of these significant dips are really good opportunities to be getting in. So if it hits that mid-20s, awesome. Um, If it goes down to around that 18.5, that's still fine, as long as we don't drop below 18.5. So yeah, because, just wrapping up, because not much has happened since that point, and we had a pretty similar drop, uh, and have remained above the the lows of uh, February, so, you know, the 10th of Feb down to the thirteenth of Feb remained above those lows of twenty one thousand seven hundred ish, twenty one thousand three hundred. Then it's looking pretty okay at this stage, but we need we need some more trading days with some volume to to finalize this.
0: You know, it's funny you, you go on YouTube and you look, um, you look at all the Bitcoin like headlines and like my entire feed's Silvergate crash, Silvergate market crash, Silvergate market crash. It's certainly probably the number one topic that. I guess people are using to justify the drop Yeah, whether in practice it's actually the reason, we we don't know. I I saw, I think, yeah, I've I've seen many, many Silvergate videos.
7: There's nothing else to talk about right now. Like as simple as it is, there's just, there's nothing else to talk about in Bitcoin. So if that's what's trending, And you talked about looking at Lunar Crush before. Um, It's it's like if that's all that's trending, that's all YouTube is going to talk about and put in their headlines because that's all people are searching. So they're just giving giving the people what they want to what they want to hear. And as soon as we get above uh, around twenty three thousand to twenty three thousand five hundred, you can kiss that event goodbye because that's the top of the bar. You know, it's the midline of the previous support around twenty three thousand, and then the top of the bar that. The event happened on is twenty two thousand four hundred seventy seven. So call it twenty three and a half thousand. Market gets above that, that news event's finished. You won't hear about it anymore.
1: One so thing that, to uh, pardon, Miles. Go go I was yeah, going to say one thing. Got- one thing to consider. One thing to consider is, um, you know, I wonder if part of the reason why it hasn't had the impact that some people would expect is that those of us who are in the space every day are familiar with Silvergate, but to your average retail participant who might be the most likely person to panic sell most likely people hadn't heard of Silvergate before so it's not like ftx potentially going under that everyone's heard of ftx if you haven't heard of it you say oh the you know bank used by coinbase is going under that doesn't necessarily mean something to everybody even people who might hold crypto
7: that's possibly why they're still searching for it and why people are still making content about it awesome point
1: Exactly. And and what's the implication, right? I mean, there's also the fact that look at the massive news that FTX and Luna made. That's because you had thousands or hundreds of thousands, if not even millions of retail participants who had money locked in there. And they can profile, you know, your your 40-year-old mom who bought crypto and now it's gone, right? And, and I just don't think that Silvergate has the same sort of media shock factor as those events.
0: So true. I agree. They do have obviously like a large amount of principal USDC holdings and exposure. Like that's, I guess, that was one of the big like FUD headlines that was going around. And also, like, I just think whenever you have some sort of crypto bank, crypto infrastructure, crypto exchange, that's like interlinked with many other counterparties. Like, we can kind of speculate all we want is like how deep the impact goes, but like, it's never a good thing. It's never going to be a net positive when when you have like the like the biggest crypto bank or the biggest crypto exchange like going down and now essentially like it's much much lesser much lesser of an impact as like a binance going down obviously but yeah i don't know i don't view it as like and i don't know how deep their connections run um i just know like they had partnerships the with, with coinbase some of the other big exchanges they were like you know providing liquidity to and like receiving facilitating payments with a few networks as well. So, like, what, what's the alternative? Because I'm not that clued up on Silvergate. I, I just know like the high level stuff about the DOJ, pro. What's the alternative now? Where did um, where did Coinbase go to instead? I, I think what, what bank are they using? I now? think Coinbase has multiple banks.
4: If I'm not mistaken, they said they have five or six banks that they use. So, I guess when when I look at it, like if I look at like a big DeFi protocol getting hacked or going down or what happened with Luna or FTX. That's kind of crypto-centric and it really hits, you know, the the, the actual tokens involved. Whereas something like, you know, Silvergate is more an infrastructure provider. Well, they provide basically the fiat on and off ramps, right? Um, so it, it might impact that side of it, but they don't hold, any crypto holdings you know that they're a fully insured banks. so if anything it it wouldn't necessarily affect us as kind of investors because we don't i guess i wouldn't expect many people to put their cash within um silvergate and if you did, you are insured so and if anyone's affected i guess if they're above the potential insured threshold would be more your kind of exchanges um so i don't expect them to put all their funds in Silvergate. So, I mean, I I definitely see it as kind of, there's the on and off ramp that it's affecting and we've seen like Binance and Bybit now don't have kind of USD on and off ramps. Um, um, But besides that, I don't see like a huge kind of market
0: um, impact um, on that. Uh, So Binance, just to get this straight, Binance and Bybit, if you're a U.S. customer, you can't deposit from your bank account.
4: I don't know if you're U.S., but I know international, you can't. But I assume it would be US. Patrick That's
0: maybe com. would know.
1: Well, I mean, Binance and Bybit, you know, to my knowledge, I'm not speaking of Binance U.S. here, but, you know, Binance.com has a geoblock of the United States already.
0: Okay. I didn't actually know that. Um... Interesting. Because in Australia, I guess we're quite, I don't know if we're lucky. I don't know if lucky is the word, but Binance is, at least for now, I know we had issues (laughs) over the last few weeks with wholesalers, but I've never really had a problem with Binance specifically, um, or Bybit, or I think they're all just running. Um, But obviously, you can't deposit Australian dollars onto Bybit. You have to deposit it onto Binance, or Coinbase, or Coinspot, or SwiftX, which is like the only four properly licensed AFS like exchanges so yeah interesting I just want to clarify that because I'm not yeah I I can't remember I
1: haven't tried I I, I haven't tested Binance US recently but interestingly my bank only allows deposits to Coinbase and previously FTX US Uh, (laughs) they've never allowed deposits to Binance US just as a bank policy Um, really but yeah yeah and will they shut but, down your bank uh,
0: account if you if you like withdrew? I don't know. Are, are the banks in the US super strict on like crypto customers? Because like in India and the UK and those kind of countries, they like just fully shut down your account and ban you if you're trading too much.
1: I've heard of that happening. Usually, it was with uh, you know people who, yeah, I, I've, I've heard of that. I've heard of that happening, but I don't think it's the norm. I mean, I, I also know people who have withdrawn hundreds of. Thousands all at once and had no issue, so it's case by case.
0: Mm, yeah, for sure. I
4: know. Uh, you got. I mean, what I always do is I just keep my kind of accounts that, tra- that touch crypto exchanges separate <laughs> from any other bank account in case they in case something like that happens, just as a uh, precaution. Um, I guess you can have multi- open multiple bank accounts. So and there's no harm in just having one that just does fiat on ramps and off ramps. Um, I do that just as a, a precaution that touches any exchange. In case, you know, because the banks could come say and say, oh, no, you touched an exchange. The exchange was involved in AML problems. Therefore, we're closing your account. So I uh, I just don't want to take that risk.
0: That's fair enough. So the, I think the last thing I wanted to discuss on, like, the headwinds front was Tether. We saw some... I guess, I guess, I guess you call it fud, because the Wall Street Journal, I mean Tether themselves called it, called it fud. Wall Street Journal came out and accused them of like malpractice and a few other like things in terms of um like dodgy filings, etc. Do you guys think that has any weight to it? Do, like, how how do how do you guys view Tether? And of course, this is a massive discussion we could do an hour segment on like stablecoins and dig deep. But just as a general feel, how, how do we feel about Tether at the moment? Do we think any of this FUD may have any truth
1: to it? I don't know. Tether FUD is one of those things that's just happened so many times over the years that unless you really see something new and notable, I, I always take any of it with a grain of salt. Uh, that being said, one interesting thing is that Tether actually has been growing in market cap recently as, as people switch to it from especially BUSD and, and um to some extent, from USDC over the past few months.
6: I echo the same
7: thing as Patrick said, and I've noticed the same thing. Everything's going back to USDT after the FUD, where it, um, I think the fund spread to USDC, and BUSD got a little bit, and now it's sort of all shifting back to USDT. I don't know why. Why are people trusting it more? Um, yeah, uh, you guys might know more than me about that.
0: Uh, well, yeah, all, I, mean, I mean, look at this it. cyclical. It, it, there's but, ebbs and flows between which
7: ones trusted. I mean, yeah, consider
1: means, this though: so the so. USD total circulating was about 23 billion in November and December. It's now down to 8.5 billion, including a 25% drop in the past week. And of that 8.5 billion, large majority is actually on Binance exchange itself. Um, there's something like only a couple million dollars of liquidity um, on curve for it right now. So so it seems that as far as people listening to Stablecoin FUD, and it's probably related to the Coinbase delistment as well as the other regulatory actions, um, BUSD is, is the one that that it seems like on-chain everyone is trying to sell right now.
7: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw that FUD as well. I guess what you're saying before, Miles, is it's pretty much just a, a cyclical thing. I mean, the news has always got to catch on to something. Keep... It's like the spinning plates, right? Keep all of these topics narratives hot and once there's just a tiny piece of something on it, you know, a bit of shit, then just go with that one until it's done and then try to keep them all juggling. At the moment, I guess
0: I just be noticed at BUSD. I've been looking at other um like spaces to see what else people are talking about. I've noticed like Mario is really on this COVID trend, isn't he? Like every day it's like some breaking COVID News yeah. like some doc dies. <laughs> it's, it's like, like the la- literally last month, it's just been like nonstop. I guess there's demand for it though, because it has. Like he gets ins- he pulls insane viewers, but. Oh, so, so, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's
7: starting to trend again. I mean, that could be a whole yeah. new conversation again if you wanted to go down that rabbit hole. And you know what's funny?
0: Uh, if I was on YouTube right now, I'd be like almost like scared, fearful for my life to talk about it, or even like TikTok. I'd, I just wouldn't even met, say the word COVID. But since this is Twitter and Elon is now the owner of Twitter, it's much better. I actually much prefer Twitter now because previously, I don't know if you guys noticed, but you, if you talked about this stuff, you'd just be straight up like bad. But now it's more like um, basically you can say whatever you want within reason. Yeah, for sure. Be, Which is better. It's, it is. It's just if you want to take your profile down the
7: political path, I mean, I did that years and years ago. It's uh-huh. it, it ends up in the, in the same shithole you're just basically fighting with the same people i don't really see any way out of it it's kind of it's like just a negative spiral
0: i'm not doing it uh no. I, I'm, not <laughs> do, I, I, I'm so yeah yeah i'm just not i'm not interested in in living my life arguing with people behind the screen like even that's something i've been trying to do more with my crypto content It's just posting and then distancing myself from some of the negative responses because it used to really upset me like when i'd post something and i'd get backlash like you're wrong, you're right. But now I just I'm kind of like, look, I'm just gonna share my opinion. If I agree with it, I agree with it, and if you disagree, I just have to let it go now. Because when I first started, I used to spend hours worrying about that, that shit. And now you got you just gotta be kind of immune to it, or or you'll just be stressed all day because Twitter doesn't stop even when you sleep. Yeah. Yeah. The it's
8: thing well, I always tell
1: myself is. I remind myself how many times has someone posted a comment that annoyed me. And then a day later, I don't remember the comment and I don't remember the person's name. And so, and so in every single time, right. And so I just always tell myself whenever I see one, I say in a day, you won't even, won't even remember this person's name.
0: I'm also a big I'm blocker sure. and muter these days. Like I, I know like there's an argument for just like ignoring stuff, but if, if someone like repeatedly just keeps saying something stupid, then I just block now. i kind of be, be bothered. Like if, if it's a fair comment, like, a fair bit of criticism, like actually, no, Miles, I think you're wrong because of this. 100% happy to take criticism. But when it's like you, disgusting Shiller, then it's just, I kind of be bothered. Like you, you, you don't, you, you're not even reasoning here. It's just rubbish. Exactly. It's mute. If you get yeah. a load well, one product, of the best things.
1: Well. I mean, these people maybe didn't follow you anyways. One of the best things Twitter invented is the remove his follower button. If someone just repeatedly posts unproductive trolley comments and they're following me, I just click remove his follower and then chances are they don't see my posts anymore
0: drake's getting rugged here i think because i keep i've been trying to add him oh no he's finally on i've been trying to add him for like 30 minutes but every time it was not working but i i didn't check my text if you text me Drake, but welcome back i guess so you haven't had much to speak about today so far because we had a very i think it was a fantastic discussion by the way but obviously very macro dominant um With you know Kavisi Scott and XO, but yeah, it's kind of it's dapping my mood a bit. I wanted to have some sort of bullish hopium, so maybe Jason could give it to us. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling I I, I can't let ever I can't let people affect my uh, my trading, but I'm feeling very sober. Not gonna lie.
7: If we're looking at here's something really simple to take away at the end. If we're looking out past 2023, I even think in 2023 the the bullishness here is. If we break 25,300, game on. If we don't even come down in any of this time over the next month or two months, three months, whatever, and break around sort of 18.5K, if it doesn't get lower than that, game on. Like, it's still game on. It's just going to take a little bit more time. For the macro game, for the S&P 500, we're all, everyone's agreed, above 4,200 points. It's like flip bears to bulls. It's, It's more than likely back on. Um, you know there 's going to be some volatility because everyone 's looking for forty two and a uh, sorry forty two hundred points on the s and p so you know be careful when we hit that level there 's going to be some volatility once we start to consolidate above there any of this recession talk will start to go by the wayside you 'll stop it 'll stop being so prevalent in the news you can almost see what happens what what the news is going to say if you follow a chart and look at key pivot points on that chart it 's like when when Bitcoin broke down on the 9th of February, for example, and it broke 22,600, it was just like bears rushed out. It wasn't that they brushed out the bar before, which was also a down bar, but they rush out at these key points, and the same thing happens to the upside. So for your bullish uh, hopium,
0: you know, I'm, I'm usually the non-hopium, <laughs> hopium-free channel. You used to I be bearish. I remember back back in bearish. the bull run, um, like like maybe during that period pre-november or something you were saying like you were starting to scale out or you're getting a bit like you thought things were getting overheated i remember watching that video and going like ah this guy you know he's a he's just yeah. a perma bear and everyone used <laughs> to attack you in the bull run for being like too bearish yeah not buying enough old coins
7: i didn't understand <laughs> the the youtube game then i didn't understand how novice and retail driven it was and i I did that. There's, there's possibly still videos. I was on another channel. Um, if you remember Crypto's are Us back in 20, uh, 2021 in May, uh, I was like, no, it's that. In May, everyone was looking to 100 grand or 80 grand Bitcoin. And I just stuck to the gun. Said I had to get above $60,500. Otherwise, this thing's going to crash. And that happened. And I, I gained a lot of support from, from that there from people who understood, maybe we've got to look at the risk. Um, so yeah, I was quite bearish at those tops and then i yeah i was still bearish as this top came in and then started to get out of my altcoins as it broke down but i can always learn from my mistakes i should have sold out of bitcoin and eth but i happened to hold them because i had the hope but i knew from the last cycle in 2017 freaking get rid of all altcoins altcoins are
0: garbage what i've realized with the YouTube game as well is the title and the thumbnail and this yeah like, it's, this is really yeah. unfortunate but the title and the thumbnail have to be with the market, but the content can be any can, can be against. So, for example, like like I did a video on the weekend, which was like like very bearish type uh, thumbnail. Sorry about like Shanghai, but then the actual content. If you watch the video, you'll know I was actually very reasonable and gave like a very like level-headed opinion. And it's the same thing with like videos that are super bullish. Like the market might be rallying, your title might be like three old coins. Like three, these old coins are exploding, and then in the video I might say, "Look, I'm waiting for a pullback," but the mm-hmm. the thumbnail is is often very different from the content, and you know sometimes we see people like screenshot out, our thumbnails and put them on Twitter out of context, and people are like, "Look, Mars was a perma perma bull or a perma bear, and look what happened next." It's like One actually go go watch, yeah, yeah. Go, I... go watch the video, yeah, yeah, go go watch the video because it's not the same as the thumbnail, and it's unfortunate, but like if you if if you're a YouTube channel, you have to play that game. Like, I hate it as much as the next person, but it's like a really hate the game, not the player kind of situation.
1: It's a yeah. numbers thing, right? You know, you have to maximize your CTR. You have to maximize the amount it shows up in people's feeds, you maximize your CTR, maximize the playthrough time. And if someone clearly doesn't understand that, then it just means they don't understand how YouTube works.
0: I would yeah. love to, to make a thumbnail, which is just, a plain photo saying market update. <laughs> I, I fear if I did that, it'd have 1000 views. And then like, that's just, it's, well, it's just got, not how.
7: You've got like just a select few channels, which get away with that. I think Ben Cowan's channel is one, um, but he's still doing content that the market wants on that day. But his is just like, it's so bare, uh, but it's, it's, it's not going to work for everyone. I think it works for very, very few people. It's like the outlier essentially.
0: And what, you kind of it's get also like wouldn't to you
1: well. you know wouldn't you want people who are searching for those sorts of hype thumbnails to click them and then get a reasonable well thought out video right you're like baiting people baiting people into getting high quality content it's
7: uh, it's a, it's a that, very that's, fine balance it's a
0: that's pretty i actually agree with patrick there like you're baiting people into getting high quality content that's exactly so i think um, But you know, as well
7: as the next person, it's a very fine balance. Like you, like yesterday's video, I chose different words than I normally do. I think I wrote like everyone's wrong, but then my whole video is just like chart after data after data after data, just like reinterpreting the data that's there for a bullish, um, a, a bullish picture rather than the bearish picture that everyone's been talking about with the macro. But because I wrote everyone's wrong, it was just it started to trigger a few people, but if I change it to like you know this data is showing that the market is going up, then it gets far less views. Because
0: you don't want to. Get yeah, it's, it's 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 a weird, annoying one, but look, that's just a, that's just social media, and then you've got platforms like TikTok, which are even more extreme. <laughs> like the like I've been doing TikToks, and like the, the what I realize is the first line has to be super aggressively mm-hmm. like. Um, yeah, engagement far different there, but, but then so, the content, yeah, the content that follows could be like very reasonable, but it's like the first line that needs to catch. Anyway, it's kind of just a social media, candid, <laughs> but it's it's kind of like the, the... We, we can all make courses on how to do well on social media. Anyone that's watching, <laughs> we probably could. Crypto we probably could actually. People keep asking me, like Mars, I want your thread on how you got to three hundred k, um, on, and I might do it one day. It's just like. The reason I've never done a thread on like how to grow on Twitter is because I don't necessarily know if like there's certainly tricks I've used to like grow quicker. Like that's obvious, but, but I don't necessarily know if there's like one thing or like one formula that I can give to growing. I think it was just like, to be honest, my number one thing is just being consistency. Like I've never, maybe buying one day even when I'm on holiday, I've never missed a post. I've, I've posted two threads a week for the last year. I've put like the reason I've grown so quickly is. Not because of some secret trick. It's actually just like I was always the first to the news, first to the trend, first the first person to write a thread, and the last person to leave. Like it's like that's why I grew so quick. So it was really just work ethic. And I think if there's any like aspiring creators in the in the it's it's really shareable
7: content. Like your content is shareable. It's like I'm learning, and it's shareable, so I can be like I'm learning this, and then when someone shares the content that is educational then they feel like they're giving value as well. So exactly. sort of tr- it's, it's basically like a win-win.
0: And my content's gone a lot better. When I first started Twitter, like people know, like my content was absolutely trapped. Like I was really into Phantom, but I was like obviously like way too bullish in the beginning. I, 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 like, I remember
7: trolling you on that. I'm like, the chart says down. I don't know why you're so bullish on this.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah I would
7: have been like XO on your case with Matic.
0: I still feel like I did really, like, well. I think it obviously was a net positive. But um in terms of, like, pure um risk management, I was nowhere near as, as I guess, good of a creator. Good's maybe a broad word. But, like, I feel like I've become a better creator, a lot more, like, level-headed in terms of, like, not going for engagement as much now and just going, like, okay, I actually just want to provide value and I want to educate and I don't need to say some crazy outlandish thing to get engagement and I think that's been the major shift like just becoming a bit more educational I guess like it's with, called maturing yeah maturing <laughs> but notwithstanding like the you know I still do airdrop threads and stuff but I, I so I know they're kind of engagement Beatty, but at the same time I view them as as long as you're not leading someone into some rug I view them as still a positive if, if you're willing like I think there's just there is many opportunities in that space and Someone has to aggregate them. Maybe the trend took off a little too much, and like now everyone's kind of doing them, and it's maybe a bit burnt out. Why? Which is one of the reasons why I don't do them much anymore. But um, yeah, I, I I kind of I think that was offering value at least at the time. I just won't do another one until I actually think there's a good opportunity. What I what I don't want to become is someone that just posts all these random airdrops just because it'll get clicks. So I'm trying to like really wait for the right time, like that there is an airdrop that I actually think people can get to post it, because I think it's easy to fall into that trap as well. And I probably did that, fell into the trap a little bit on my last thread of like just putting stuff in because it was there instead of like stuff that I would actually go for. So the next thread I think will be a bit more like this is actually what I'm doing, um, and not so broad. But yeah, anyway, that's just created a
7: phantom before I guess everyone needs to go. But speaking of phantom. Is this going to be another altcoin that you'll... Like, are you married to it and you're going to pump it in the next cycle?
0: So, yeah, I'll I'll speak about my opinion on Phantom and this has been actually pretty consistent for the last year.
7: And and when you do speak about it, can you add... Do you follow the
0: chart with it or are you just purely fundamental? Absolutely. Firstly, absolutely, I follow the chart. It's one of the reasons why I, I haven't bought since November. I have had little buys. I have had swing trades. I did play the leverage trade up The $0.40 breakout to $0.60, I made good money on that trade. That was a trade. Uh, In terms of long-term accumulation, I'm not really aping in right now. Like, I think if you're the person that just needs to have a nibble in DCA, like, I don't think it's a terrible thing to do. But personally, my risk appetite isn't great at the moment. I'm pretty heavy cash, and I'm pretty, like, tentative to be aping just because I think... We can come down lower, but then again, like if, if we are to push higher and this is like the ultimate low, then it's fine. I'm happy to buy in a little bit higher on like, on confirmation of some really strong price action than like APN now. But anyway, that's just buying stuff. In terms of fundamentals, which obviously long term, that, that's where your, like, your most deep research needs to go. Uh, Phantom, like, it's speculative, it's experimental, like, it's not, It's not like a sure bet. It's it's not. Yeah, it's not like as sure of a bet as like an Ethereum is. The reason I like it though is because of that. It's experimental, and I think they're they're doing some really cool things, like to FVM, which not many other chains have tried to do. And if they pull it off, it'll be like a pretty nice chain to use. It already is a nice chain to use, but it'll become even. Um, it'll become even better, and I don't know. I've I've spoke to Michael the other day. I felt good about some of the points he raised. I, we obviously are friends with Andre as well, like Rand's good friends with him. Um And, you know, we get good information on, on his involvement. He's also very involved with Phantom at the moment with developing, and I respect him as a developer. So th- there's enough there for me to say, okay, I, I'm betting on L1s for next cycle. I'm betting on some L2s for it, for next cycle. Let's make Phantom a percentage of that. Now, the percentage you want to allocate to it's like, up to you. You you could go crazy and go like 30% phantom out of your L1s. You can go less than like me, which is probably two to three to 5% max. What happened last cycle was I was actually allocated 2% to phantom or my portfolio. But then because of the run up, it ended up being like 20, 30%, which wasn't really intended. That was just like natural um, portfolio bloat. And that's why it ended up being like much bigger than it probably should have been at the time. But like, in terms of, like, pure dollar raw allocations, it's, like, probably, like, around 2%, um, which, for me, is fine. I'm happy to take a speculative 2% bet on on an L1 that I think can succeed, and I'm also hedged across other L1s, like, um, you know, not necessarily right now, because, as I said, I'm, I'm probably waiting for a little more clarity to, like, go crazy with buying, but, obviously, there are some clear L1 favourites of mine, which I've, which I've got my eye on. I would like some near, I'd like some... A little bit of so Solana head- oh, Nier, Nier. Oh. N-E-A-R. I know people Neo protocol. Neo, Nia, Nia, N E A R. Australian accent at, to- in the. In no, not the Nia. there with Neo. No, 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 not Neo. I mean, obviously, like Solana. Yeah, look, that's got a lot of headwinds. Well, I got, I got, a-
3: I got to step in on this one. So, a couple of layer ones that are looking interesting. The first one is going to be Kava, obviously. Uh, they have the $750 million incentive program coming in. And uh, in my opinion, I, I think it's kind of just the beginning for their chain to uh, get some TVL. They just got Equilibre up there and they got Mara or mayor finance. I was just talking about the- K-A-V-A. Yeah. Yeah. K-A-V-A. Yeah. They just launched their EVM, but I just, I was just talking about it on the podcast uh this morning on my channel, but in regards to the liquidity incentives, Stinking curve. Uh, they only have like 13 mil TVL over on Kava and they got like 60 to 80,000 Kava tokens, which are priced at like 80 cents a piece. Um, and that's just the TVL that they have. Now Mayor Finance, uh, already has 50 mil in TVL. And I mean, it's just, just going based on that. Uh, there's very few plays over on Kava and you know what they say about fighting the Fed. Don't fight it. In this case, Kava is the fed. They got 750 mil. They got to go printer or printing got to go burr. So it's got to go somewhere. Uh, the second one is Canto. Now Canto, I know it's a newer chain. There's a lot of garbage going on it, not garbage going on on it, but a lot of people are like, Oh, Canto, this is junk, whatever. Um, but it, it's, it's starting to get some new stuff over there. And I see it as getting traction. I don't think Solana, um, is Solana is one of those things that was like a SAM chain. And I think on March 3rd or like four days ago or something, their chain was down again. I mean, come on, one, two times? Sure. Three times, four times, 10 times, every single time, th- I'm done. Like, I'll just move to a chain that works. There's so many of them. You only get so many chances in crypto. I mean, sure, maybe Solana may do something in the future, but I'd rather take... Here's a, the thing. He's uh... here's,
0: here's my opinion with Solana, Drake. It's like, I, I think of probabilities, not absolutes. So probability-wise, yeah larger percentage chance Solana like, ends up not... Like, I don't know if you can... Maybe ends up not succeeding. It's hard to put, like, an exact percentage, but, like, prob- probabilistically, like, things are looking shaky. But given that fact, and given the fact that we get a general market drawdown, I think Sol gets absolutely smacked. I'm happy to take a speculative bet on a recovery at, let's say, 5 to $10, because even if it, like, somehow manages to, like, fix things... I'm going to make crazy multiples. So it's not me saying like Solana is the chain because I think there are better chains. I agree. I think there are like 10 better chains than Solana. But it's like a pure like price bet that I think Sol could at some point become like a decent speculative buy. And that's why I'll stack something next cycle knowing it can go to zero. Just because yeah, I think I, like I even agree. if it gets half the way. I agree. Weather,
3: I agree. It, may get, it may get something. But you also got to factor in this. Um, they've got so a huge dev
0: ecosystem as well. Like it's it's... Like, let, all it needs is like one of its big projects to kind of succeed. Like, I don't know, like a Star Atlas or one of the plethora of other games to like do semi-decent we'll make to, it, to renew interest in the chain. Or
7: maybe it, it's well, if you make it a 5x on one change, point and
0: a 5x on another
7: Drake. Point.
1: Drake, here's the thing: Us, you know, you, me, I guess to some extent, Miles, we like the what you might call D-Gen DeFi plays, right? I think you'd probably agree with that. Yeah. Like early stage, what some people would call DGEN, DeFi projects. a high throughput chain like Solana, that might not be what they're going for. They're going for for types of crypto projects that might not fall into the standard sorts of DeFi things we're trying to dig up on DeFi Llama that appeal to a larger audience. And so the average person, you know, they're used to websites going down all the time. They might not care. So I don't hold any soul, but that's the case I could see. Trying to get at
3: the catalyst. Like the the catalyst 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 for Solana This catalyst for Solana is, oh, it might have a bear cap bounce. Oh, cool. (laughs) But a catalyst (laughs) for something like Kava is like, dude, the guys are turning on the money spigots. They got 750 mil. The the catalyst for Kanto is it's like a a meme chain and you have Velocimeter launching over there, turning this uh, liquidity black hole or like Stacks with uh, Bitcoin uh, as the Bitcoin DeFi narrative. Where all these Bitcoiners are like, oh, dude, this is our chain. Forget shilling them on, or not shilling them on Ethereum, but forget fading Ethereum. Now we can um, save face and say, bro, we got DeFi now. Go check out Stacks. Like it's free market. We're
1: talking about weeks and months versus years, though. You know, I I, I actually am on Canto, I'm on Kava, I'm not, not on Solana right now, but we're talking about weeks and months versus years.
7: When you say on, are you, have you bought it and it's part of your portfolio or you're using it?
1: I'm, I'm using DeFi, and I, I, I hold Kanto, okay. but not Kava. But I'm, I'm using DeFi in both chains. Hey,
7: Drake, do you look at charts at all, or are you just purely the fundamentals? I'm, I'm not looking at the Kava token. The Kava
3: token is straight going to be pumped to match. Ch- I'm looking yeah. at Kava ecosystem tokens. So Kava right, is okay. going to be rapidly inflated. I, it doesn't look good for it. I mean, they're stinking paying out the devs and the Kava token. If I'm a dev and you're paying me in Kava, I'm going to dump that junk. I mean all right
7: I was going to say cuz the the chart is terrible it's broken like yo yeah, oh, yeah every single it, everything it's going to bleed
3: it's it's going to yeah. bleed hard but i mean hey who knows maybe maybe it'll be a pull up or it'll be something like sol i don't know who knows it's, it's uh, thing- so <laughs> i'm not saying i'm not saying don't buy Kava. i'm just saying like just on solana just to wrap Colorado,
7: up the solana thing low 2020 prices it's almost <laughs> coming back to the covid crash low so that's just on terms of price. But anyway, sorry, go back go back to Solana.
0: On the on the Solana thing, Drake, you, you said like the bull case is a dead cap dead cap bounce and the bear case is like you know, it, it crashes or whatever. I uh, the, the bull case is certainly not a dead cap bounce in my opinion. The bull case is um like your the team there, like Anatoly and Raj, um, come to like a solution to some of these issues. Like the just for a bit of context, like Solana has always had issues and they kind of launched knowing that they were going to be like a broken chain, but they did it to get users very quick. So they kind of took this approach like very opposite to what we see from like uh, Ada and Dot of just like, let's crash and bash into the market. Let's launch, let's just break and fix it as we go. I think that works to some extent. I think maybe they've just had one too many issues at this point and it's kind of like, well, maybe there's some like deeper trouble with the tech. But I guess the bull case is, You back Anatoly and Raj to fix these issues, and you also back the community, which is still pretty strong. Like I went to Breakpoint in November. Uh, Look, some users may have left since then, but still, that was that was like just pre-FTX. Community was like very very strong. Like the uh, there was some very impressive projects building. The dev ecosystem's vast, and it's still very high throughput. Like when it works, it, it does work a lot better than. Many chains. Now, when it works, of course, like, it's not good that it doesn't always work. But the bull case is a little bit bigger than just a dead cap bounce. The the bull case is it actually fixes itself, and we see that ecosystem, um, which has had decent fundamentals from like a like a pure number standpoint, so the- start to like flourish again. And I'm not saying that will happen. I'm just saying that's enough of a reason for me to nibble at it. In the hope it does so, happen, it's just pure RR. Yeah. So what, what I'm point.
3: understanding is your catalyst is that eventually, um, the devs and team will win out because they're they're a strong community.
0: Basically, basically, and and that's obviously like a probabilistic thing. Like it's not like it will or it won't happen. There's like a certain percentage you need to attach to it. And everyone will touch a touch a different percentage. Yeah, because this,
3: this I don't know TVL what it is, thirty, forty is percent. But like, their TVL is just but di-
0: Solana TVL's no. bullshit? Solana TVL is bullshit. Solana a bullshit metric because DeFi and Solana was just a big Alameda pump a dump. Like I don't know if you remember Serum and Radium. But I, they were I just, do. Like, that, that's what I'm basically saying. Basically, like Ponzi. Like, like
3: that. Like I just remember that. I'm like Sam. soul, I'm out. I'm not touching that junk. <laughs> he fuck.
0: They destroyed the ecosystem, but but once again, like I think Jose made an interesting point on in my interview the other day. Like having Alameda out of the picture in in one respect is actually quite a good thing, because they had very uh, predatory tokenomics, and it, and it meant that a lot of holders that bought Serum and bought Radium, they were like destined to fail from the beginning. They were destined to be on underwater from the beginning. Which is obviously, isn't, you don't build a community with, when people lose money. You build a community when people make money. So That's how you build a strong community. So, let me, so that's why DeFi failed. It was too predatory. Now maybe you could say, look, now Adam is at, out of the picture. Maybe you can start to build something from scratch here with like independent, more decentralized apps but let me ask that aren't you necessarily this. as predatory.
3: What was, what was one of your biggest, um, like what was one of the biggest DeFi things or biggest tokens you got completely wrecked on? I mean I I'm assuming because a lot of people got mm. wrecked on Tomb Finance. But
0: No, I didn't I uh, I I got uh, I got out of Tomb at, at a decent time and I traded T shirt as well, so I'd, i made money on Tomb. I I I lost where did I get wrecked the most? Luna, clearly, but okay. like
3: Okay. Okay, so would you buy Luna yeah. again? <laughs> no, I'm sorry That's I'm, what I'm saying. I'm That's sorry. what I'm saying for souls. You just move on. Like you move on. But soul, soul isn't as is broken.
0: Luna's like fully like a legal, legally like a disaster. Uh, oh, well, I could say like say the same about Sam
1: and FTX. Yeah,
0: you, you know, day. many
1: people, many people be, said the same thing about Ethereum. But you know, many people said the same thing about Ethereum after 2017 when when it drew down 90 percent plus We didn't have
3: any other choices. Now we got any choice you want. Soul goes down, fine. I'll use Phantom. Phantom goes down,
1: no well, worries. I'll use Avalanche. Avalanche goes down, well, here's, no here's the thing. Here's the thing with the sole outages though, is by, you know, any practical, you know, uh, definition of the term outage, when Ethereum fees spike to $500 to $1,000 a transaction. And by the way, for people who are listening, I'm, I'm much more active in the Ethereum ecosystem than on Solana, but by, by any practical standpoint, when fees are $1,000 for a transaction, that's also an outage.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, true.
0: Look, I think I, look, so I don't just know if summar- I'd
3: consider I don't know if I'd consider that an outage because I mean, like if I had a billion dollars, let's just say, for example, on Ethereum and I had to pay a thousand dollar gas fee, I'd pay it on Sol,
1: If you had a billion dollars, you couldn't pay that thousand dollar gas fee. You're roasted. But for the most users, it's an outage. And Vitalik himself has said that when fees make it prohibitively expensive to make a transaction, that is effectively an outage.
3: But in DeFi and in crypto in general, there's less than 1% of, or more than 90% of the wealth in crypto is held by less than 1% of the wallets. So with that in mind, if they're able to get a transaction through, just regardless, the meaningful amount of money on the chain can actually move. Whereas on Solana, it could not move. I remember like I had barely any funds on there. Uh, it was like a thousand bucks that was just locked on Solana and it was stuck. Like it was stuck for a week because Solana went down. I was like, well, I'm glad it didn't go over there. Look, Drake, <laughs> yeah, That's, look, that's look-
7: a fair point, Drake, because now, now we're talking about, well, Vitalik is possibly saying, oh, it's an outage if the fees are too high because he's more interested in the majority of users uh, that don't have the money. Whereas what you're saying is if we're looking at the people who are actually going to pay the fees and keep the thing running, then – it worked because you just pay a bit more money and it worked. So, you know, I, I guess that makes sense too. It's like, which angle. Yeah. But if you're, if you're looking,
1: if you're building applications with the intention of millions of people using them, then, then it, it uh, does matter. And that, and the actual number of users that can transact matters a lot. I would say, oh, just, I, I, what I really, what I really I, want to emphasize I is that agree, but Solana, comparing
3: apples to oranges,
1: like ETH isn't yeah. made to do that.
3: It's not made to do that. Like, it's 14 transactions a second or every 15 seconds, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's horrible. That's not even a lot. Like, <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's really bad. Um, but I mean, you, you have other solutions for that, which advertise what they're doing. Like ETH isn't advertising doing that. It's not saying, Hey, look, we're infinitely scalable. Instead, it's like, Hey, dude, we have massive scaling
1: issues. Use some layer twos because we got so much chain bloat. But can you not Whereas imagine? that there might be blockchain applications that would require a high throughput and would be willing to make that trade-off of having downtime yeah, every couple months on or, for that or group on
0: another chain. And Honestly, even... Solana's biggest competitor is not these other ones we're talking about. Uh, I actually think it's Sui um, and, and, and Aptos because Solana Solana's main competitors are not, uh, uh, fast, high-throughput, non-EVM chains, and I would only put like three or four into that category. I don't think Solana's trying to be Ethereum. It's it look, it just has its own like little little niche. Like it's high throughput, NFTs, like gaming. That's kind of its niche. Maybe DeFi one day. But it's like very different from these other elfers we're kinda of talking about. And the community's very different. Like the makeup of the communities, I think entirely different to like Patrick or Drake or even like myself. I don't even use Solana. Like me mentioning Solana, like I don't even use the, the blockchain at all. I'm, it's just purely going to be a trade for me at some point that I take. Like, it's really as simple as right. that. It's just like me chucking money at it because I think it could maybe recover. It's like, that's, that's simple really. right. that simple. Right. That's, like- that's
3: what I was trying to, that's what I was trying to point out about the narrative with it. Like, yeah, short term play. I could see it for Solana, but I mean, for anyone who's listening, like, I mean, sure, Solana, there is that one or 2% chance it does something, but I'm just being real. It's there's going to be another chain that just surpasses it. Why would why would someone play at like
0: Amptos and Sui? uh, uh, Maybe uh, maybe the two. It's really whatever they aren't battle tested.
3: Like I'm super skeptical now, just like of anything. Like I wouldn't say anything, but I'm more skeptical than I was before. Um, And it's just one of those things. Like, hey, if it's not battle tested, I'd rather wait till it's battle tested and sure, maybe I'll throw some DJ and play at it, but. Stinking Aptos. That's a multi-billion-dollar market cap. That ain't a I'm a no, i I'm
0: I wouldn't touch Aptos with a ten-foot pole. I'm, I'm with you. But like, it could be like in a year or two something that starts to develop, and then, and then I mean, we we'll hey. look at positioning ourselves in it. But it's no, not. I mean, the hey, time
3: for, for that reason, if no one's gonna touch it with a ten-foot pole, just imagine when people start touching it. We'll probably pump. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not, I, I don't know. Who knows what it'll do?
0: The dilution's the problem on Aptos. The the FDB, mm-hmm think when it launched, put it like number three after Binance, which is just insane. And then obviously we, we have seen it dip quite a bit, but also because the liquidity is so low on a lot of these exchanges and also there's just not many tokens circulating, it, it gets those violent pumps. Um, and that's why it's kind of... I, I think it'll be like... It'll definitely go lower. Like, In fact, it's probably one of the better long-term shorts you could make. Problem is, it's almost impossible to short crypto <laughs> in general yeah. because... Yeah. Because this thing oh can just God. rip, so it's like... I, I I was short Aptos at 17, it's now 11. I, I think I closed around 14, so I made good money, but... Um, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine shorting this again, just because it can just rip up to 20, and then just wreck you, and, and I'm not in the game of topping up. Um, yeah, I you i will get in play. the
7: game. You use stops, huh? don't you?
0: If you're shorting. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. but like... Like, Wait, what I'm start- saying what i'm saying if it's a long term short it's hard to execute so like if my thesis is aptos will be $4 in at some point within the next 4 years that is a, almost impossible to execute that trade even if i know it's going to $4 because in the meantime even with stops you'll just get wrecked again and again if my stops 10% and i get wrecked 10 times i lose my principal that's that that's the problem with shorting it's all the doing whole general fees would be a bit crazy too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was, yeah, I was but about
3: but... to say you'd even <laughs> have to pay some pretty expensive interest on that.
0: Oh, yeah. The funding rates have been crazy at times. So yeah. it's like, it just doesn't make sense. So, yeah, that's basically why why it's hard to short. It's much easier to long long in crypto and make money than it is to short long term. Yeah. If you're a trader, then, of course, it's, it's a different yeah, story. So. And,
3: and yeah, your, and your upside is limited and your downside is infinite. <laughs> like, because the, the yeah. best you can do is if the token goes to zero and that <laughs> you just make the spread. But if it goes up to infinity, I mean, dude, like, I don't know. You better find some wallets to shell out some cash because you're roasted.
0: So, I I don't want to, like, I think we can keep this running to, like, my 12. I don't know what that is in the US. It looks like 8 o'clock. Uh, that's probably when we'll wrap it up. So, just to end, like, on, like, final discussions on the D-Jenny altcoin talk uh yeah just want to ask drake first like what are you looking at right now you said you're in defi on kava what does that mean what, what are you kind of what are you doing but what are you fooling around with
3: okay so um there's two things on kava really other than that there ain't nothing over there uh Equilibria is basically a solidly fork that's all you need to know about it uh the second one is mayor finance um basically mayor is do you know the guys over at Sony on Optimism? What's the ticker?
0: I know the uh, guys.
3: M A R E. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> so I think one. Do so, one get uh, jailed? The the Sunny aggregator guy. He basically TLDR. There oh, he, is he like stacked TVL oh, on no top idea. of it. He 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 like created Saber and Sonny. It was the same guy. He like faked dev activity to make it seem like. Oh, it was actually oh two no! Brothers no, to I'm make not it.
3: talking about Sunny. Like no, that. I was joking. About
0: I know, like I know. Sunny. I was making, I was making a joke. I hope it's not the guy that's in, that's in jail. I don't actually know if he's in jail, but yeah, he, he, he basically made like 20 fake developers, and then did like, he was like double stacking TVL. So every dap that would put money into Stable would put it into Sunny, and it was just incredibly ridiculous i lost money on sunny i think i i put like a thousand dollars and i put like barely anything in and then it went up to like 15k or something and i and i was like oh my god this is crazy and then i just end up losing it all yeah I remember,
3: <laughs> sunny. that was fun That's what happened. oh by the way i want to make a disclaimer on these tokens these are dj and like uber dj like extremely volatile will go up 100 percent in one day and down the next 99 percent um, they're really low market cap coins. Uh, Vera doesn't even have any liquidity right now. The incentives hadn't even started. They had an issue with their epoch, as in the rewards weren't flipped on. So it starts on Wednesday. Like these are DJing tokens, man. So like anyone listening to this, I'm not telling anyone to buy these tokens. In fact, if you wanted to, it's best to just farm them. Uh, you can farm mayor by looping some stable coins or looping some Kava tokens, whatever you want. You can farm them, um, for mayor. It's basically just, uh, the same developers behind son or Sony, whatever you want to call it, S-O-N-N-E. They were on optimism. They, their token went from half a penny to like 32 cents right now, uh, in like two months. So they did pretty good. Uh, it's basically the same exact team behind mayor finance on Kava. Um, but that's really all there is over there. So you can, it, it's like, uh, early polygon days. Uh, but on kava and it's like extremely it's not hard to get over there but it's like dude what is going on the bridging process is bad the best experience that i've found is going from binance smart chain to kava via um what is it multi-chain uh and the token is the kava token so if you don't have any kava uh and you send like 500 dollars worth across on multi-chain You'll get airdrop like 0.1 Kava for gas, but if you have some regular Kava inside your wallet, you can send it to your EVM address. So from Co- Cosmos to your EVM address, you have to give it on the get it on the Kava.io website uh, in order to get that actual address. So me having to say all these random steps explains <laughs> like why it's <laughs> Uber <laughs> Degen and why it's not yeah. even doing anything right now. It's, what about, it's hard to get over there.
0: What about optimism? Uh, last spaces, you said you were looking at like, uh, looking at some of like the optimism related projects in the Velodrome pools. Is that something you're still yeah. doing or I, interested? I gotta,
3: in? I gotta say, my favorite ones on that still are going to be F bomb. Um, of course, Velo. I like Velo. Uh, they got the OP flywheel going on. Uh, I. By the way, guys, I, I bought these tokens much lower. Um, I really just have moon bags on these right now. So, you buying these, it's hard to be, it's hard bags. to be crazily
0: long alts now. Like, it's, it's yeah, difficult. Th- it's yeah, not this the is, time to buy. This is what's frustrating as, as a, like, a DeFi guy and a fundamentalist. And I'm sure you guys have this as well. Like, uh, I, I, I've seen some amazing projects which look super undervalued. Um, and some like great, like, you know, there's some stuff in, like, the Soldi fork realm I like. Optimism I like. There's even some projects on am I like. But I still haven't, like, bought into them, even though I think they're, like, fantastic. Because awesome. I just... Yeah, I, it, it, yeah, you can, but then you still need some, like, underlying exposure. Obviously, like, it's all a percentage play. Like, you can go in with, like, you know, really small positions. But it's it's just frustrating because you can't feel comfortable holding even, like, your favorite projects. It's, um... Well, it, it, it
3: depends. Like, let's let's do a breakdown. If you're looking to get into Velodrome, you can do that. You can farm it with some stable coins. Once you get the Velo token, then you can stake the Velo token and then vote on the different pools that bribe with the different tokens. So for example, if you want to get exposure to F-Bomb, F-Bomb bribes different pools in their actual token for voting on it. So if you have the Velo token, you vote on that pool, you earn some F-Bomb. If you want to get some one ring token, also a lower market cap coin, you can use that to farm in the pools, like with the... Uh, ring token if you wanted to just simply buy it, or you can just vote on it with your velo exposure that you farmed and just get some ring tokens that way so I mean like I don't know what the market's gonna do exactly I mean for all we know, it could dump like i don't know a week from now it could dump right now, uh, hopefully it doesn't but um anyways it it could dump and
0: if you farmed it, who cares now well, Bitcoin. Hunks, Bitcoin is literally at the exact same price as when the space started, and it's at the exact same price when I tweeted last night about price action being boring. 22395 So don't worry anyone in the spaces. All the more better white farming you've is where it's at. You've got nothing to worry about right now. Even Asian <laughs> Open, which is in like 30 minutes. Um, nice. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. I think it's worth staying so up. What
7: do we make videos about today when the market's so boring? See, I'm, I'm
0: struggling. I have to make it. I have to... <laughs> I have to do a video tomorrow. I uh, have to live it's not tomorrow.
6: boring.
3: Like it's fun. Like I, I like I couldn't. I had so much stuff to talk about today. Like
6: three days it's... ago,
3: I did a podcast, and I didn't think I'd have more content. But in three days, I was like, "Dude, we got to do the podcast now." I was planning on doing mm. it on Friday. Like th- there's a lot of stuff going on. There's Are a you... lot if
0: you're a DeFi degen, but, uh, Yeah, which degen, I am to some degen extent. Degen but well. for me, the the problem is um, when I stream on Banter. Like I, oh, I, I do I do I do this stuff on Sunday nights like I do the DJ stuff on Sundays, but when I stream on Bounter during the week, like come on man, am, am I gonna hop on a stream mm. and like farm on some <laughs> random shit coins on Optimism in front of like thirty thousand people? It's just not really like it doesn't sit great with me I, like I, and this is the problem with as you get bigger as a creator, it's like uh, the amount of disclaimers mm. I'd need to do. I need to spend ten minutes disclaiming for a 20-minute video. You know what I mean? That's that's why the best
3: way to put it is, look, you buying this coin is pumping my bags. You should just farm the coin. So that way you don't buy it, and that way you just dump on me. That's how I explain it. Like, dude, just farm the coin, don't buy it, and just dump on me.
0: Yeah, I think it's all the way that that it's framed. I mean, if my audience on YouTube wants to see more DJ, DeFi stuff, then I can do it. It's just, um, at the moment... Just a bit of a weird environment. I think it's just received super weirdly on my on on my channel.
3: Um, Yeah, I agree.
0: It's just it's just received badly.
3: Watch these things uh, and and see how these economic cycles play out. Like I I just like watching these flywheels. Like an an example of a really interesting one that is is playing out really well is Quinta. Um, The flywheel on it is it's basically incentivizing people to trade on their platform by paying them in escrowed Quinta tokens. So, they can't sell these tokens, but they basically get trading for free. So, why would you trade on GMX when you can trade on Quinta and get some Quinta tokens for free? Now, when you're juicing the volume on that platform, which it's doing like 50 mil a day now, um, whereas before it wasn't doing much at all, it's already done like 800 mil uh, total in the past month and a half, which is crazy for that type of platform. Um, and it also offers more options than GMX. You now have more people trading on there, juicing the volume which people with their Quinta tokens, they can come and stake and they can earn a share of the uh, emissions. And if they're trading on the platform, which the only way to get the rebates is you have to stake the Quinta token is you're now getting those rebates. So you have this flywheel of people buying Quinta token to get rebates on trades, the trades juicing because people are like, Oh, well I bought Quinta. So I'm going to go and get these rebates and free tokens. So the people are getting the free tokens And then this also, well, juices the price. So more stakers come across, higher APRs also increases more people to stake the Quinta. And also bear in mind, the tokens and rewards that are given are escrow. So they can't be sold. Now, if you wanted to sell them, you can vest them and wait for a full year or you can vest them early and break that And 90% of those tokens are burned and they only get 10% liquid. So the fully diluted valuation on CoinGecko is mainly a meme. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But I don't know. It's cool. Like but Who knows? Are you long? It, are you long the to token now. I I bought in way lower. So I mean mm. now it's just like a moon bag. Who cares? I I just want to watch it. Like it. It's cool. Like seeing these economic cycles play out. It's it's like basically watching economic history. That takes maybe I don't know. 50, 60 years to play out, play out in a matter of weeks.
0: Yeah, crazy. It's like for the adrenaline junkies for sure. So, what do we buy (laughs) then, Drake?
3: Um, (laughs) you don't need to, everything's pumped. You don't don't need (laughs) to answer that. (laughs) Everything's pumped. I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy anything, man. I would not buy anything. I
0: mean, there are things that have pulled back a lot though. There are some DeFi stuff that's down maybe like 50% from those. From like the I would local highs. farm, it,
3: man, farm in's where it's at. Like Velodrome and Equalizer,
0: dude, those are those
3: are paying like crazy.
0: What do you and, think about the other soldi forks? Like you've got Thana, you've got I, I mentioned to you Saturn, which is launching soon. Like there's a lot of these forks now starting to, starting to come out, and it's kind of taking well, Thana, the I world by storm a little bit.
3: Thana's is already out on Binance Smart Chain. They're doing pretty well. But um, the satin one, that thing is overhyped, man. Everyone is talking about it. I think it will do well. But I mean, you have to look at these. I hate to say it like this. Look at every token or altcoin in crypto like a Ponzi. If everyone is talking about it, there's no one else to get in. I'm just explaining it and being real.
7: (laughs) That's how bull market tops occur. what, What did you say? I said that's exactly how bull market tops occur. Exactly what you were saying about being in DeFi now, watching out, watching entire cycles play out in a matter of, say, months. Uh, it's ex- that's what I was saying earlier in the stream, like a couple of hours ago. It's exactly what happens in property as well, except it takes about twenty years every cycle. People think yeah. it's every ten, but it's about every every twenty. This is the exact same thing that you're saying. If there's no one left in, it's pretty much the end. Well, yeah, you know, that's that's real estate at the peaks. Everyone's talking about yeah. it. You know, I don't know if you remember back to those peak points.
0: I think the move on Saturn well, will probably be like. I mean, I don't know. There's there's a the discussion of the token, but there's also like going to be potentially farming opportunities. We'll see what how the APRs are when they when they launch. We'll see what pools they have. Like, um, there could be opportunities yeah. there. Like, you, well, you're, here's you're, here's yeah.
3: the deal you have with here's the here's the problem you have with Saturn. Everyone's hyped about it. Everyone's like, oh, this is going to be the next best thing. I mean, sliced bread's great, but it's not that awesome. So everyone's hoping this satin thing is going to launch and do well. If there's any hiccups, I mean, <laughs> there's going to be a dump. Whereas something that's underhyped, it'll be like, there's a hiccup. Oh, whatever. They'll they'll fix it. It'll be okay. Uh, it's, it's one of those things, like, everyone is anticipating it to be successful. Now, if there is a, uh, a hiccup and something goes wrong... And sure, I I may buy some then to see what happens. But I mean, everyone's talking about this coin. What I
0: also want to say is, like, we're using everyone as kind of a broad term, but I'd say everyone in the the DeFi community on crypto Twitter, which is, like, very small. Miles,
3: you're you're not degening right now, and you just asked me about Saturn.
0: No, but that's because I know the. Te- no, no, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> no. I know, I know checkmate. the team. I checkmate. no, it's not check. It's not checkmate not at all. Check. They, um, yeah. I mean, and I, I know the team. I've uh, i i to the team. I've spoken to like Thana. Like I meet with all these guys. I talk to these guys. So, like that's why I know what's going on. Um, I don't need to be trading something to not know what's going on. Like I, I'm in meetings all the time with projects. I yeah, hear about through I'm my just research groups. With
3: you, Miles, I'm just messing with you. Just. Just watch some of Miles' previous videos. You, you'll you be able to tell, uh, the type of DeFi duty is uh, that guy. That guy was on it. I remember watching his videos. And when he was stating earlier in this, uh, Twitter space, yeah, just make, uh, the, I was always early. I'm making the content. Yeah, you were early. You were good. That was so. I mean, I, I'm not trying to poo poo on you or any. I was, I was just messing. I'm sarcastic from time to time.
0: No, it's funny. I like it. Um, sometimes i don't know uh sometimes i'll just to be honest i'm pretty tired i can't even like be bothered like taking a joke so i'm just i'm I'm just being super blunt (laughs) i think you need your
7: food (laughs) it's midday where you are. No,
0: i I already ate i'm just being blunt like i don't know i just wanted to just explain that that i'm like with these projects um sometimes also we think everyone's talking about them but not everyone like really is because our circle's small Drake. like it's like, if I talked about this on Crypto Banter for the first time, which I I, I mentioned it on the weekend, like, everyone's, like, w- like blown away. Like, oh, what is this? Like, no one actually knows in those circuits. <laughs> it's just, like, we we think everyone's talking about something because we're on, like, Twitter. But, like, Fainer's Discord, for example, has, like, a few thousand people. Satin's Discord has a few thousand people. Velodrome, most people don't even know what it does. Half the audience here wouldn't even know what it does if they're following me. So, like... Yeah, everyone, I just wanted to, like, I was really just picking the word everyone apart, like semantics, basically. Yeah,
1: you're right. Yeah, here's how I'm looking at the Solidly Fork thing. Solidly Forks right now have about 800 million TVL up from just under 100 at the start of the year. That's about around 4 to 5% of total DEX TVL. question is, how high do you think that can go? What's the appropriate market share for Solidly Forks? Uh, it, is it ten percent, twenty percent? It, depends on, it, 20%? 20%. it, it depends, depends on their, on their fees. fees.
3: Yeah, if they're able to evolve and um, what they're and what they're doing. Like if if they're just simply sitting there, like Sliz. I've been so adamant about this in their Discord. They aren't listening. Either the Solidly forks need to pivot. The ones that are starting to gain market share that have to compete with things like concentrated liquidity of Uniswap V3, pivot and lower your fees to compete with that or you need to focus on the long tail assets. Sure, Uniswap V3 works great for uh, having concentrated liquidity for non-volatile assets. But once you get into those volatile assets, who cares about concentrated liquidity? And I think if these solidly forks can focus like some of them are on the long tail assets, they can drive revenue from swap fees as well as bribes. Because me as a protocol, if I want to get liquidity, Using a solidly fork does two things. Instead of just one of emitting my token to an oblivion and making it go to zero, with a solidly fork, I get cheap liquidity, one, and two, I get free marketing. If you want to ever find any small cap tokens on the chain, just go to a solidly fork. It's basically like the water cooler of the chain. You walk over there, you see what's going on, see who gets the high APRs, and you're like, what the junk is that token? You take a look at the token, and you're like, oh wow, it's like a 500k market cap. I'm buying some. That type of thing.
1: Drake, why do you think it is that Velodrome has had so much success compared to the OP Grid? The only reason why. <laughs> OP. The OP
3: is sustaining the flywheel. So um, the only thing that's incentivizing people to keep locking Velo like whereas before it would have broken down and the fees are, are a bit low and competitive. But look on a, on a chart. Uniswap still is number one for concentrated liquidity for ETH and USDC. But a mix of the OP incentives as well as focusing on those long tail assets. Take a look at a lot of their pools. They have a bunch of random tokens that are like not regular. Uh, that's what long tail assets are. Um, long tail basically entails assets that are just a bunch of different altcoins,
1: whereas the short tail would be like your Bitcoin, ETH, USDC, etc. Yeah, I believe Velodrum also has a huge amount of stablecoin liquidity. Yeah,
3: they do because the, the stable swap pairs are the lowest um, on Velodrome, so they get a lot of revenue uh, driven through that. And they while also, we're on this...
0: In... so I was going to say, while we're on this DeFi, Degen. Discussion is probably a good time to mention that uh mention the sponsor. If you want to swap any of the, oh yeah, Kyver swap,
3: (laughs) yeah, best place, man, best place for swap. (laughs) I actually used it ever since you said that, and it it actually is pretty. Do you like it? I'll I'll give him that. I I like it. I like it. I was I was using a Firebird because they give me uh, they give cash back, but I mean I was like Kyver swap. I'll I'll try. There's nothing better.
0: There's nothing better than when when you have a sponsor, and I think it always should be like this, but. Sometimes it isn't, but I try my best to make it like this. Where your sponsor, um, is something believe like, you like, it's something you, you really use, use like genuinely yeah. use. Like it's really cool. That's like that's why I like this KyberSwap partnership with this space a lot because I actually genuinely use it and I have used it for like basically like a year. So it's 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 cool. It's much yeah, more Kyber, much Kyber more Swap natural than really having to like chill in exchange that you don't really use. Like you know. Oh, I,
3: I wanted I wanted to add that because I know you were asking me what should you buy. Um, here's actually a strategy if you wanted to have a Delta neutral position. So taking advantage of these solidly forks with the crazy emissions that they have this strategy, I shared it in my discord, and this is one that I do as well. It works extremely well is you literally go to something like an Ave, a Geist finance, um, a granary finance, whatever borrowing and lending protocol you want. You can lend out your ETH, Bitcoin, some stable coins. And if you want to get a delta neutral position, let's say we want to do equalizer on a phantom, you would borrow the phantom token. And it's going to be like, I don't know, 5%, 4% for that yield. And then sell half of that into the other token you want to farm with and deposit into equalizer and let's say, for example, you want to do equal and phantom, it'll pay you like 170% or 150%, whatever it is. Effectively, I've taken a delta neutral position because equalizer is reflexive to phantom, or at least it actually is outperforming phantom even when it goes down. So if phantom Mm -hmm. goes down, the equal token is also going to go down, but my debt also goes down. So I don't care. I mean, I'm fine with that. I'm getting paid 150% APR, so as time goes on, I'm farming that equal token, and I'm paying down my debt. Eventually, it'll be debt-free.
0: Have, you done, have
3: free...
0: you done a YouTube video slash thread, thread on this strategy?
3: Um, yep. I kind of kept this private in the Discord. Um, I've, done, I've done the Short Atrage video on YouTube. I called it Short Atrage. I even put it on a Substack. But like the specific plays I'm doing, um, I keep that private. I have given I've given like a generic one though. Yes, I have. Um, would this work on I,
0: scale? Is the is the reason you keep it private? Is because it wouldn't work? Uh, no, of I, it? I just
3: would rather keep the yields in the Discord.
0: <laughs> yeah, because no,
3: we're we're doing it we're doing it with like equalizer, uh, with velodrome. Um, it's just different tokens. That's the other thing with. people don't.
0: That's, that's the other frustrating thing is like. There there are some pools that like are great, but if you did like a video on like banter or on like my Twitter or something, or even oh, like Patrick and uh, even you Drake, like I don't know anyone basically, and and re- release it publicly, like those the, like the yield would like halve or less, and there's, yeah, there's it was no like halve. cut in half. So that that can be the problem. That can be the problem with the small pools. The big pools, of course, it's it's fine. It's anyone's game, but DeFi, it's kind of like a lot of the deep, like the really deep dj Alpha. You're gonna find in Discords. Well, the one,
3: I, the one I, the one I gave you is pretty good. Phantom Equal. That is a pretty deep pool. That's like a milli, uh, like nine million TVL. Yeah, that's milli. that's fine. Yeah. So that's you, okay. you can. I mean, that's fine. Jump in that. You're not jumping it. Well, I mean, I, I do have one pool in there, but it's not as big. Um, but it, it's not like the uh strategy I'm using for a smaller pool that pays a lot better. Um, but yeah, it, just the The strategy I gave works effectively. So you, you lend out, let's say, Bitcoin, ETH, stable coins, whatever, borrow Phantom. You're paying 5% to borrow. You're earning at about 150% clip in the Equal token. Just pay down your debt. And then once you pay it down, you have the free bag of LP tokens. And you can keep farming with it. And Equal actually outperforms Phantom. So if Phantom goes mm-hmm. down, your Equal position is actually going to be better off. So your debt have, would have gone down. But your bag that you held uh, because you're farming mm-hmm. with it, is actually going to be higher, so you technically got paid for the strategy. And if Phantom goes up, Equal usually outperforms Phantom. Just look at Equal compared to a Phantom chart. Um, the reason why Equalizer is doing extremely well on Phantom is because it doesn't have to be, compete with um, a DAP that has concentrated liquidity with a meaningful TVL. It has Kyber Swap over there, but it doesn't have a lot of TVL over there, so most of the volume is routed through Equalizer.
0: Jason, is your head spinning?
7: <laughs> I just kind of try to listen to it. Yeah, tune out, tune in. Because like, yeah. I was
0: just thinking, like, I, obviously like I, I was understanding it, but then I also just thought, just for a split second in my head, like, we do use a lot of lingo. Like, there's a lot of, like, DeFi lingo. Which it's like, you, you kind of just become accustomed to using it. Like, even like LP, a lot of people don't even know what that means, you know? It's like... Talking about bribes and stuff, it's like often completely just over people's heads, which is what fine. I like learnt, this...
7: Yeah, what I, what I learned is you, you kind of have to stick to the thing that, that you know. And at mm. the end of the day, it's, it's almost the same thing. Like, say, Drake's doing all the degening with the farming. You know, I've got a couple of good friends that just do that. And it, you have to just stick with it and know that field and they're not gonna to wanna to know about trading because you know their head is more fixated to that, just like mine is more fixated to looking at charts. You
3: hit the nail right on the head, buddy. You make a 10X <laughs> on Bitcoin or a 10X on an altcoin, what's the difference?
7: Yeah, exactly. This, yeah, it's uh, all about finding all your about edge.
3: Money.
7: Yeah, whatever part suits you more, go with it. What happens in the bull market is that all of these opportunities are, look fantastic and everyone's making money. Everyone scrambles to try and do DeFi, trading, you name it, anything else. I had 50 skills in the bull nothing.
0: market. I was uh, a professional trader. In the bull market, I was a professional trader. I was a professional degenerate. I was a professional yeah. airdrop hunter. I, was a pro- airdrop, I had 50 professions. Course.
7: So you try and do everything and then I was most people
0: end up And And well, everything profits for a certain amount of time. In fact, you feel like a <laughs> freaking genius because literally everything you touch turns to gold. Um, you could do any, basically anything, and make money. <laughs> yeah, for so 12,
7: twelve months, and then it's over.
3: Yeah, and, and then and then Luna happens, and then we're all
0: like, "Oh, well, okay."
7: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's. It. Thanks for that sobering reality. <laughs>
7: Stale joke. Sorry. I never got into that. I almost I was, forgot that I was happened. Just trading. See, like we all miss out on different things. You know, Luna. I never got into, but we're talking about it with our community. We kept posting charts about. All right, if Luna breaks seventy five bucks, get the hell out of there. It's it's done. So we posted about that. We posted about UST. I wish I was looking down. at your charts,
0: Jason. I wish I
7: was. I and wish I wish I had it on your on Twitter. Chart. We posted about uh, getting should... out of UST at ninety seven cents because we were charting that. That idea is crazy. Yeah. So we we got out of all of those, but at the same like we can say how cool we are and great we are by by limiting our risk, but at the same time we didn't take the upside of degening making 100,000x because, you know, we're more focused on risk management here as
0: opposed to DJ gains. So my you know, Luna, if we all work
7: together, we might work together, we might do well.
0: I won't go over this too much because right? I've done video summarizing my personal story with Luna. Obviously, Ran got hit, like, a lot harder. But um most of my Luna was in Anchor. And if you guys don't know what um, Anchor was, you can basically, like, borrow and lend against your Luna. So I had most of it in Anchor, but since, like, it has a liquidation ratio, like an LTV... Uh, you got to keep um, topping up. My ratio was at like $35. My lunar gets liquidated. So, like, my obviously my lunar got liquidated uh, at 35 Um, But, like, to be honest, not terrible, considering my, my average entry was, like, probably maybe around... It may have actually been, like, 10 to 15 I don't know exactly because I bought really cheap, like, at $4 or $5. And then I also bought really high, like, $70. So, I don't know what the actual average was, but it was probably lo- much lower. So I still did okay, but clearly, like, there was a lot of paper gains that were lost. Like, yeah, the the it, easier said in hindsight, but um, obviously I would have loved to have sold more at 120 and made a shit ton of money, but instead of, most of it got liquidated in the 30s. So I don't know, kind of not not, not a disaster, but certainly not well traded on my behalf either, but anyway. <laughs> That's in yeah, it, the past. But I think some of them got hit a lot harder. So I feel, obviously feel bad for those people. Yeah, one of the key um,
1: things people should just keep reminding themselves is look at how many opportunities there's been in crypto, even just in the past couple of months, as far as these mini narratives we've had. There's always going to be an opportunity. So there's really no reason to FOMO into something. And most of the time, most of the time, if you're being honest with yourself, you know when you're FOMO into something
7: yeah, yeah that's, I, I, that's a really good point if you can be honest the, the hardest thing which i've learned over all of these years is it's the the hardest thing to do is to be honest with yourself well oh, that's one thing the other thing is patience so being honest with yourself and patience like it just that's why it's it's so easy to win in crypto and all as as obnoxious as that sounds i understand but when you when you're in it, at least one or two cycles you're just like ah oh, I didn't realize how simple that was, but it's so hard to do in practice. Patience, be honest with yourself, stick to it. Because the majority of people that come don't have any
0: experience. So, I've been honest you know. with myself the past couple of weeks, and I've ended up not buying anything. So that's how that. Uh, that's how that honesty. Oh, yeah. ended and, up. and, and two, out. two
3: other things. Two other things also add to it. Be humble and be grateful. Um, the first, being humble, is like when you're up like a two x three x. I mean, take a principle back, man. Uh, you'll thank yourself later after it crashes to zero or cuts in half by like, or not cuts in half, but goes down by 90%. And the second part, um, being grateful, is once you make that 2x and see it go up to a 10x, be happy you made a 2x. There's other people who got in Luna and went from 150 to zero in like two seconds.
1: Yeah, here's let me tell you a quick story about that. I bought Luna between 4 and $6 in 2021, sold all of it. Around $60, and I was just kicking myself as it went up to 100. But a few months later, when it crashed, I felt pretty good.
7: When you think about it from 60 to 100, or it got to close to 120, it's really only a only 100% gain. But because it's at the peak of the cycle, it seems like the world going from double digits to triple digits. But yeah, it's 100%. Obviously, to get it four bucks, it's an even better return.
0: But from 60 to 120 is because- nothing left. The reason is for it to get to 60 to 120, it has to double its market caps, like the amount of liquidity of course, that's yeah. pouring, and that also has to double. So the, the the retail interest was so much higher in that last 30% than it even was in the first 10x. 4 to 40 was nothing compared to the 60 to 100 in terms of the pure like retail interest in it. And then of course, off the back of that, you also had all of the altcoins in the ecosystem exploding, like Astroport and like Mars and uh, all that crazy mm. stuff, like. Was absolutely just pumping on in Mars's case. Everyone was locking their UST away forever. Like it was basically just altcoin craziness that last few months. And that's probably why it felt so much more intense that. But obviously, Patrick, you are in the end, the net effect was fairly good for you. And even for me, it wasn't great. I'd say it was a net negative overall, but dollar wise, it was a net positive. The reason why I say it was a net negative. Um, is probably just because I, I made a lot of lunar content and that obviously is not like no bueno. Although although I did outline the risks. Like I think being critically of myself I could have done a better job at like spotting some of the deficiencies with the uh, with, with the design. So I don't know. But anyway that's all in the in the past now. We gotta live and learn from, from that. At least I wasn't rude to fire shilling anchor threads for months and then would have been a lot worse yeah
3: (laughs) yeah i think i think the worst uh the biggest thing i learned from that is what actually taking profits is like um taking profits into from luna to ust since they're correlated assets is not technically taking profits so i think if for someone in cryptocurrency in general if you have most of your uh wealth in crypto um just trying to be real with you uh, when you're taking profits into a stablecoin, is not taking profits. You're still having exposure to crypto. So if you have no assets outside of crypto, just understand the risk you're taking on. Taking profits from Bitcoin into a stablecoin or from an altcoin into a stablecoin, you still have crypto exposure. Just keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, in a way. You know, it depends on stable as well, obviously, UST. At the risk, very yeah.
7: least, be on different um, uh, chains. That's it. The very least.
3: Well, here, here's an example, Miles. Um, you played on Harmony, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, if you sold your Harmony token or whatever tokens you had into USDC on Harmony, how much would you have? Let's say you sold a thousand bucks worth, or let's let's make it spicy. You you had a million dollars worth of USDC on Harmony. How much would you have now? Yeah, now. Uh,
0: none. Basically, think... none.
3: They had they yeah. had a bridge hack, so all the yeah. Uh, well, it depends. So yeah,
0: hard. most yeah, like basically none. I guess if you have but you had but, but that. you
3: you would agree that USDC is probably one of the best choices as a stablecoin, right?
8: yeah 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 top uh, i
3: mean just just like let's just throw numbers out there like not not numbers but like just forget about like oh decentralized oh centralized whatever
0: oh it's my number two pick if if i'm if i'm storing long-term money it's my number two pick yeah yeah
3: yeah. just just like in general we we can agree that usdc has stood the test of time it holds its peg pretty well yeah mm-hmm. so taking profits into usdc on harmony if you did that and left the stable coins there, there was a bridge hack. You basically have nothing.
0: Hmm. You gotta be careful of where you store it. I think that I think that the lesson is diversifying across. Um, like...
3: And and get some and get some IRL stuff because at the end of the day, internet shuts off. I mean, uh, okay, I'm not saying the internet shuts off, but just like giving it just... an example, like so, okay, I'll, ha- I'll... have something, have something physical that you can have. That way, worst case scenario, everything goes to poop. You aren't roasted.
0: Yep. Yep. So, uh, have you just given me an excuse to go buy this Patek watch that I've been wanting to buy? Or are you. This what? <laughs> I've <laughs> been wanting to buy the leap, you said? I really, yeah. I really, like, I'm, I'm a big watch guy. I've got, like, a Rolex. I've got some other watches, but I I really want to buy a Patek, but, like, it, part of me is just. I don't they know, know I can, pretty well. I could buy, yeah, but I could buy, like, 50, 40 Ethereum or I can get one watch. So it's like, it's like, oh, I could literally Miles. spin up a validator, or I could buy a watch. It's like, come on, Miles, why, why, why don't you
3: just go buy a CryptoPunk
0: JPEG or something? You know, I feel like, I, I honestly believe, for like, if you buy 30 Ethereum today, uh, and hold it for 10 years, it's it's going to be a difficult investment to lose on. That's at least my opinion. So I don't know, I feel like it's probably going to outperform the watch. But of course, you just, you just gotta
3: look at it. You just gotta look at it like this. I'm just explaining diversification. Just that's just something that I've learned. Um, I mean, I'm just glad I had some IRL assets because I mean, like having a a majority in UST gets you completely wrecked. Um, now it didn't kill my crypto Like it did put a hurt. You had had a lot of, I mean, a lot of it was profits. So it, it just vape like, like it literally just vaporized it. Because um, I did you have a well, lot?
0: Did you have a lot in UST at the time?
3: I I was trying to get out of it. The problem was I had it on Thorchain, so the pools they oh. were the the pegs were messed up, so I couldn't withdraw. I was roasted. So I just had to watch oh. it go to zero.
8: Fuck.
3: That would it, it, it was it was not fun, dude. Like I was like, can I get out? Can we do something? I mean, roasted. So that, that's, that's also an example of uh, smart contract risk and the thing you, things you enter into. Now, what I should have done, I even made a thread on it showing you how to short UST when it was trading at like 95 cents. I should have hedged my position instead of sitting there frozen and like, yeah, man. I can't do anything. I should have ponied up some cash, hedged the position, and shorted UST. That way, if it went down, I would have been okay. But hey, I mean, sometimes you're brave the same problem at, just, like whatever. I had the
0: same thing about it. He was like had obviously a very large lunar position, but most of it was locked in validators and so it was a 21-day unstaking period, so he kind of saw a lot of it go down. do um, when freeze,
3: don't freeze. Like, don't freeze. Um, that, that's what I've learned. Don't freeze, uh, be productive. Um, like there's 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 so many different strategies you can deploy. Not shorting out
0: there. lunar like if I look at my crypto career and think about a few like clear mistakes that I've made, not shorting Luna was one of the biggest because I was considering doing it once it once I got liquidated and I realized this is like fucking this looks bad. I don't know why I didn't why why I just didn't short it. Like it's it baffles me to this actually, day. But it'll...
3: yeah, actually, both Luna and UST were the most, both both <clears throat> of the best shorts you could have made. You would have made oh. like ninety seven percent on UST. Um, yeah that well, spot as well on when you put,
0: put that with some damn leverage and you would have been laughing like I know someone yeah. that turned um, <laughs> that turned I think $10,000 into a million dollars personally I know good someone for him. on, for on him. He... Did he out?
8: So,
0: yeah 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 fully got out actually he, he had his position closed forcefully by an exchange because you actually couldn't keep your position open after a certain point when everyone was delisting UST and Luna, they just closed all the positions. So he probably would have held it even lower. But they, um, oh finance, sorry, finance yep. and stuff were just like nah, Like when when UST, no, nah, like you too took hard. too
3: much of our money.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When, when when Luna was like a dollar, even before it went to like zero point zero whatever, um, they had already closed everything. So the most you could have actually squeezed was like a dollar Luna, I think, or like two two dollar UST, which is still like freaking amazing. Um, but, yeah, you couldn't squeeze that last 100% out. Wild
3: well, what what the cool thing was with UST is that your upside was technically capped. Um, or, I'm sorry, your downside was technically capped if you shorted UST. That's why the UST was a more interesting play because, I, I mean, sure, it can go over peg, but with the amount of um, wallets out there just trying to cash out of UST, you had that massive amount looming to just uh sell it whereas everyone was basically wanting to still accumulate Luna as it was going down. Eventually after everything hit the fan and they realized what was happening, then the buy pressure went away. But UST was one of those things where it was actually pro- not profitable, but the risk to reward was in your favor to short it. Is that nice? You still didn't short track.
0: You still didn't I, I,
3: I told you I, I literally <laughs> just sat there, I froze and I wrote a thread about it. That was that was my um coping
0: you (laughs) learn so much through these lessons though like these those moments have taught me more than like all my wins combined like those bad moments have just Uh, they just make you such a better investor all this stuff
7: that we're talking about it doesn't do very well on youtube i I remember that much when i first started doing more videos back in late 2020 early 2021 for the, the crypto market i was talking about this sort of stuff because you read it in in trading books and you learn it along the way but no one wants to hear it at those
6: times, yeah, they especially don't. at
7: the bull markets.
3: They just want to hear, what do I buy? They make 100x. Yeah. And which is well,
6: what enough. you it's... what
3: you need to buy is invest in yourself so you understand this junk, and then you'll
0: 100x yourself.
7: <laughs> it's too unsexy, and it takes too much time.
0: Yeah. Oh, well. I, think that's, I think that's a good note to wrap it up. We've been going for three and a half hours for quite a while. Um, Sounds like a SpongeBob well, episode.
7: Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much, boys.
0: I think I think it was great, the, especially the first. Um, actually, no, I enjoyed the second half as well, but it was... it was it Actually, we covered so much. You I don't even know my head's kind it. of spinning. No, I no I did. I'm just thinking about, like, what we actually covered. So, yeah. like, we, we did some Come heavy... Come on, Miles, who's the
3: sponsor? <laughs> we did so some sponsor, I'll say
0: thank you very, very much it was a <laughs> <laughs> <Kyber's fault. laughs> Thanks to Kyber's fault. Um... They are, the, it, yeah. It's a good dex though. Trust me. Trust me. It it's is. Good. It is.
3: Um, like I'm actually being honest with you. Like it's, it's, it's cool decks. I like the decks. It's gives really good prices. Actually, I was surprised. When's your next spaces? Try my next one, dude. I gotta make some time for that, man. Uh, I'm busy with this podcast. Um, podcast? Uh,
0: What's that? I, I just okay. did a
3: little on YouTube and um, trying to, cause like, there's no DeFi podcast, dude. So maybe people will copy mm. me and start making their own, so I can consume their content.
0: But like, no, if you, if if you do it well, you can have. I mean, just think about the amount of cool guests you can have. You can have like Sam K's and from Frax. You can I know, have like that, that's the, the guys from want. Tetra, no Curve. Yeah, you can have a bunch of cool, cool people. I don't know what, but when you say podcasts, is it on YouTube or?
3: Yeah, it, it, it's on YouTube. Um, I, I threw two of them up on Spotify. Uh, yeah, I'll probably keep you can doing just it repurpose. You can.
0: If you do it on YouTube, you can just take the audio, convert it, do a bit of EQ compression, put it on Spotify. I'll let you guys. Yeah, but that, that's about the that's the goal.
3: That that's <laughs> the say... goal is to get some crazy, uh, DeFi degens on there.
0: Now we're all heading off as well, Jason. I, okay, think... I was just gonna say thank you. No, we we are, but yeah, I'll, I'll keep my eye on that podcast and and yeah, I think it's a good idea. We can chat about it later. I think it's cool.
3: Uh, yeah, we're we're gonna have to have you come on soon too, Miles. But we're not big sure. enough yet, so maybe. <sighs> maybe...
0: Maybe we'll get that big.
7: No, <laughs> oh, we he can. He'll bring, he'll bring him.
0: Yeah, we can. No, nah, we can do something. I'm happy to make some time. But yeah, all right, cool. Um, that wraps it up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It was a fun space. Thanks to everyone that listened the whole time. Thank you. You're, you're like the most dedicated followers ever. Hope we didn't ruin your uh, Monday hopes and dreams. And It's
3: okay. Use Kyber Swap. <laughs>
0: Yeah. But, it's, but everything will be fixed if you use so. um Yeah. All right. I'll see you in the next one, which is next Monday. And let's hope Bitcoin moves in the near future to give us some entertainment.
7: It will. All right, guys. Peace out, guys. Cheers. Thank you. See ya. Okay.